Uh, actually, I have a lot of questions for awesome. uh, Jonathan, Aya, and Ben as well. So I'll be the one kind of asking questions as well, moderating. Okay, so um, I'll let you get started. Uh, just a quick uh, word about uh, Global Bitcoin Fest as well. Uh, we uh, are a uh, organically organize, uh, organized event. Um, the first one was a 24-hour non-stop Twitter space on the 7th of September to celebrate um, the adoption of Bitcoin in El Salvador. And um, it was uh, organized in just seven days and uh, by a fairly random group of people, people that just wanted to help out that have been do- had been doing some free Satoshi giveaways in uh, Latin America before together in El Salvador, Cuba, Venezuela, Mexico. And um, we, after having produced the, the tw- 23 recordings from that 24-hour nonstop Twitter space, um, we decided to start doing this on a weekly basis. So um, uh, the main organizer is Global Bitcoin Fest. And uh, we're going to start with, uh, say, you guys having um, a conversation and... Uh, We'll let um, audience ask questions a bit later. So Tao is here. Tao, you're very welcome to ask questions a little bit later, but you can uh, stay on as long as you want. Um, okay. I'm handing over to you, Koji. Okay, so I want to start off with asking other guys uh, what the Bitcoin meetup and Bitcoin community in Japan was like before the Mangox hack where... I, I joined the space around 20, 2014. Uh, and when I started going to the meetup, all these guys were already there and like organizing and uh, helping me get started on Bitcoin and stuff like that. So I would like to ask maybe Jonathan first, uh, when you joined the Bitcoin space and how it was like in 2013, 2012 and that kind of stuff first. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I joined the Tokyo Bitcoin meetup uh, a little bit before Mountain Gox happened. And um, basically, my the biggest takeaways that I got from when I first when I first when I first joined the uh, the meetup was uh, just the kind of uh, the insane charisma uh, that uh, like Jimmy Ken, Roger Ver, <laughs> and like all of all of the people who were who were like the the regulars of the of the meetup at the time were like these insane like characters, like almost like from a movie. Like they're they're really passionate and they're really excited about Bitcoin. And you know, uh, you know, it was never a dull moment at the meetup because they were always talking about you know some new some new development or something like that. Um, and that, that even goes for you as well, Koji. Uh, cause I remember when, uh, you know, uh, counterparty like NFTs and things like that were starting to get up, like, you know, you, you were bringing all these people in with, uh, it was a little bit after Gox, but, but like, uh, in general, my, my first impression of the meetup was just, um, the only people who really kind of stayed there as regulars, we're like super charismatic people who are like really, really passionate. And, um, and then there would always be maybe about, I would say like four or five of those guys. And then maybe like two or three 
like new people that are like, I don't know about this Bitcoin thing. What's it all about? And then like usually one or two of them would never show up again. And then like maybe a couple of them would show up every now and then. Um, but yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, I would say it was um, an exciting mood uh and and everyone is very hopeful about about bitcoin at the time and uh there wasn't a lot of bickering about you know different you know like uh technical aspects like uh happened during the uh 2017 you know hard fork wars type thing uh but it was it was very peaceful very nice everyone was very kind um and uh you know there was also a lot of uh you know uh, over the counter trading uh, because at the time, really, the only place you could really trade was Mount Gox. And even before the major Mount Gox hack, um, Mount Gox had been hacked many, many times before that. And so a lot of people were like, well, the only real place you can trade is Mount Gox. So, and we don't trust them because they've gotten hacked so many times before. So a lot, a lot of people were doing trades, um, you know, just for cash uh, in person uh, at the meetups. Uh, that was also a big, a big staple of uh, pre-Gox uh, Tokyo meetup was just people exchanging cash for Bitcoin and stuff like that. Yeah. One, one thing you mentioned uh, that was kind of interesting is when I joined the meetup, uh, in 2014, people are very nice. Well, in general, uh, now Bitcoiners, whatever we say, are considered kind of toxic now. But <laughs> we are very nice and like welcoming, <laughs> discussing like you know what was interesting to us. So it's yeah, it's completely different from now. Well, I would say. Well, I I think yeah, I think one of the main reasons why is because the whole um, uh, you know. There have been many, many, I would say, uh, iterations on the uh, concept of, you know, shit coins in the space, where I think uh, now the latest fad is uh, all of these like NFTs on, you know, all these different platforms. It's like, oh, well, Ethereum doesn't scale. So we're going to make this other platform and then we're going to do this other platform, which is kind of technically a layer two. If you squint really n nicely, then yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's totally, it's totally a second layer of Ethereum. Trust me, guys. And, uh, and, you know, that's the current iteration. But at the time, um, I, I would say the first iteration was when you started getting all of the, um, the kind of the meme coins. Um, so when Dogecoin first came along, uh, I don't think Dogecoin was a serious like thing at the time. And I find it quite interesting because Dogecoin actually came about because all of these like fork coins where they literally just copy pasted Bitcoin's source code or they copy pasted Litecoin's source code. And then they just changed a few things and made a new coin and then tried to sell it, you know, and basically, you know, uh, you know, grift it. Uh, and then Dogecoin came around to make fun of the grifting. It was like, oh, this is so funny. You can just create your own coin, blah, blah, blah. And then all these people are going to buy it and they're going to, you know, make a ton of money. And now the Dogecoin community has literally become what they were memeing. They, they're like, literally like, it's no, it, it gets to the point where, you know, where does a meme end and you're actually grifting begin? Like, I think at the beginning, most of the people who were kind of into Dogecoin, you know, they might have gained a lot of money 
by you know by the price going up but none of them really took it too seriously and they were just like yeah <laughs> to the moon to the moon lol lol but then you know after a while after about three or four more iterations you know more and more and more people got out of the dogecoin community and then came back into the dogecoin community and then so i think dogecoin is a very in interesting example of the the thing that you were saying right then is at the time um there were no real like kind of uh well there were some scams but most of the scams were like uh you give us your bitcoin and we'll give you 10 bitcoin back you know kind of like the, the age-old bitcoin scam uh now they do it with ethereum mostly because you know most of the people following following elon musk are you know ethereum investors or whatever um but uh, but yeah, at the time, I mean, there really wasn't a lot of that whole like scam atmosphere. It was all basically just like, you know, this is Bitcoin. This is the fundamentals. This is like what it's good for. This is how awesome it is. And if you don't understand it, we'll sit here and we'll explain it to you. We'll get, we'll set you up with the wallet. We'll let you know how to how to set it up. Um, I remember, um, you know. At the beginning, everyone was using blockchain.info for the, the wallet, the main wallet that they would uh, suggest to noobs. Uh, but then the, uh, the Apple Store took it off and they, they refused to allow it on the Apple Store. And uh, I think it was around that time that Ben started coming and, uh, and he had actually made Ninky Wallet, which I thought was like a really awesome wallet. Uh, and so I, I personally switched, and I think a lot of people at the meetup switched as well uh, to kind of pushing Ninky Wallet because it was a really, really great wallet. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was such a great atmosphere. Everyone was really helpful, very kind. Um, there were occasional, occasional arguments, but it never really got too serious. And even, you know, during the hard fork wars, which were in 2017, I mean, you know, people would get into heated arguments, but in general, I mean, it was pretty nice, you know, near the end of it, kind of things started getting a little bit, you know, uh, iffy and kind of everything kind of fell apart with the whole meetup and whatnot, uh, and the meetup split up and all that fun stuff. But, um, yeah. but yeah, uh, basically it, it was just very helpful. There wasn't a lot of scamming going on. Um, you know, the only kind of scams were like kind of memes of scams. Um, mm -hmm. and that was about it. Yeah. It was, it was a great, great time to be alive in the Bitcoin space back then. Uh, I want to take it to Aya and Ben and maybe introduce you guys. Aya is also, uh, Jonathan mentioned the NFT on Bitcoin a little bit, but Aya is also a legendary <laughs> NFT creator, <laughs> as well as an early Dogecoin adopter and everything. So <laughs> I, I actually really want to hear, ask you how you got into it and like your perspective on what's happening now as well. Yeah. Um, so I got into Bitcoin probably sometime around the end of 2011 or so, but I didn't really put my focus into it in terms of work until 2013-ish. Um, and which is around, that's around the time that I actually start visiting the the meetups. Um, and as you know, Jonathan was saying, yeah, it was such a like a really friendly time to be to be around. And I had just moved to Tokyo from Okinawa at that time, and actually without that meetup, I wouldn't have made a lot of the friends that I have now. So um, not just like on a you know, just in Bitcoin sort of way, but it was a really great way to, to meet people who had sort of you know different IT interests or some sort of eccentric personalities. It was kind of an interesting place to meet people. Um, I think back then, 
it was still done at the fruit parlor. Um, so there's like a, there's a fruit parlor um, in the middle of Shibuya. And um, I thought it's such a weird place to have like a meetup about tech stuff, but it, it actually it worked out pretty well. Um, and then after the group had grown, maybe the, the year after that, um, it kind of got hard to to fit all of us into that little fruit parlor space. So we all started going to um, various different bars or restaurants instead. Um, but yeah, and I just, I got so into it. And the really nice thing about the meetup was that um, there are people from all different kinds of backgrounds, um, tech or not, and also different levels of you know knowledge. So if you ever had a question about something, of how something works or how to set this up or, you know, what, what is, you know, um, explain a Merkle tree to me, all those kind of questions could probably be answered by someone. And if not, like everyone was just willing to kind of look it up together and try and dissect it as a group. Um, so that was a really, really nice time. Um, and yes, I mean, it did change a little bit afterwards with, with the, with the, with the fork war. And, um, I think sometime around 2017 or so when altcoins started to really ramp up, we had sort of a, an era of a lot of scammy folks coming over and trying to, um, get people who are well known in the community to endorse things or stuff like that. But overall it was such a really nice time. And, um, yeah, I, I feel just so grateful that I could have been around at that time. Okay, thanks. Uh, what about you, Ben? Can you <coughs> speak up? Hey, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I think I started going maybe late 2013. I wasn't certainly wasn't like one of the original members. I think I think I remember the first meetup I went to, and I think it was like right around the time the price had rallied. Um. So like a, did it rally up to like a thousand dollars or something? And I remember talking to Neil, who was one of the original meetup founders, I think, and he was saying that you know there was there was about forty or fifty people had shown up that day, and but he said like in the years previous it would, you know it would just be like him and like three other people or something. So, um, I I think I joined right around that time that <clears throat> there was that big price rally, and then subsequently the Gox hack, um. So yeah, it was yeah, it was really exciting, and it's it's how I bought Bitcoin as well. I would just show up with like cash and buy Bitcoin from people, <laughs> um, which was which was great, and um, and yeah, it was a it was a good, there was a kind of good cross section of people there. I think as well, there was like um, you know a lot of develop there was a lot of developer guys who you could talk to about um, development, etc. But there was there was also like a definite kind of uh, political libertarian type uh crew as well um so uh it was it was really good place to like talk technical and also talk politics and you know i i hadn't really come across the libertarian viewpoint at all really up until that point because in in i'm from england and in england it's not it's not really a thing to be honest um so there was there was a lot of new political ideas and stuff i i, I was learning about and also like kind of the business side of it as well a lot of business ideas being talked about and investors started showing up and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it was, yeah, it was awesome. And, uh, yeah, lots of drinking as well. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would like to add that, um, <clears throat> until 2015 ish, uh, like right around Mt. Gox and after Mt. Gox, after Mt. Gox, where I, when I joined the meetup, started going there. 
uh, it was mostly uh, expats and foreigners living in Japan attending the meetup. So from a pure Japanese perspective, that meetup was kind of, you know, kind of w- <laughs> taking place at a weird place in Roppongi, kind of a more shadier place in Tokyo, I would say. So <laughs> I, I think for a lot of Japanese people, they were kind of intimidated to join uh, the meetup. <laughs> But uh, I, I think I'll touch on this later. But having this type of active uh, community and meetup really helped uh, uh, build the foundation for for an active and strong Bitcoin community. I would say, and uh, and that that's the difference between Japan and maybe some other countries. But uh, we'll we'll come back to this later. So yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I think also like you know. Uh, Roger Ver was one of the main kind of uh, organizers and obviously like it was a huge Bitcoin activist at the time. So I think lots of people would come to the meetup, you know, uh, from all around the world when they visited Tokyo, uh, probably because of, you know, his, his promotion uh, activities and like visibility and stuff. So it was quite um, around that time, pretty, uh, uh, pretty active. And, and it was always new people kind of passing through. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Rosar played an important role there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like almost every week, if there would be maybe like after 2014, 2015, maybe about like five or six new people would be there every every week, uh, every month or whatever. And, uh, and uh, they would basically, you know, if they were not Japanese, usually the first thing out of their mouth would be like, is Roger going to be here today? <laughs> It was, it was like the, yeah. the number one he question. He totally had that kind of charisma where he could like just pull people off the street, like on the way to the meetup and have them come along with him. Yeah. And there was also the jujitsu kind of crew as well. Right. Cause he, he's a jujitsu yeah. guy. So he'd bring like so many people from his jujitsu dojo or whatever yeah. it's called. So there was like a whole bunch of jujitsu people there in case like we needed security for the, the, the scanners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, uh, before coming, going to the meetup for the first time, I watched Roger explaining Bitcoin on YouTube or something, and I found he lives in Tokyo. And I was like, well, what, why does this guy live in Tokyo? It's kind of weird, like completely opposite of what <laughs> Japan is about, <laughs> kind of. But I, I find it kind of fascinating that he was there as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so let's just go to, so that's around 2013, 14, and maybe into 2015. And I, I think it was more of a kind of peaceful, peaceful days for the Bitcoin community. And then, then comes 2017 or maybe 2016. Let's talk about uh, NFTs on Bitcoin a little bit, because Aya is obviously a famous uh, creator of Hair Pepe, which is like one of the most popular uh, rare Pepe's. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I want to talk about this a little bit because I was also involved a lot on Counterparty and NFTs on Bitcoin at the time. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. I, <laughs> I, I mean, like, I, I, I wouldn't have really even gotten into it if I probably didn't have you and other people at the meetup um, talking, you know, and working on. Uh, the Indie Square wallet, and I remember at some point also Ken, I think, had made a token that represents attendance of the meetup. 
think I think he did that at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. We um, we, we issued yeah. a token for the meetup as well. Yeah. And we started kind of giving tokens to people who attended uh the meetup and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, it was an experiment. That was but that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was kind of interesting. And you know, we had um some other people like um Bitcoin, uh, Miss Bitcoin. So my son, she was making her own tokens as well. And um, I guess colored coins and that kind of concept was still, so still floating around. So um, I thought, oh, well, I actually have a, have a background in art. So I, I wanted to find a way to like, you know, do something kind of arty <laughs> plus Bitcoin. And um, around then, I think people were starting to put together like the Rare Pepe wallet. And uh, as soon as I saw it, there were still only like a few... Um, Pepe's had been made at that time, but um, I made one on my lunch break called Hair Pepe, but um, it didn't actually really gain any traction until um, uh, maybe a couple months after uh, there was a transaction for a Hair Pepe going between a friend. Um, and uh, I think it was like something was about the transactions formatting it had was a little bit weir- weird and it caused like an overflow overflow in like the counterparty nodes and counterparty had incidentally gone down for like a day or two um because of that um and then people who were looking into uh hey why are all the kind of party kind of party notes down they would look into the same thing they're like well what's this hair that's so weird and uh, a lot of people didn't really understand it it's not really much understand to be honest it's kind of just a silly yeah. project that's kind of made for fun but um uh I- yeah i don't know and then yeah go ahead I still think that the 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 hair of the Pepe was just too too clean for the uh, counterparty. It's too smooth. So, yeah, too smooth. <laughs> and it, it broke all the servers. <laughs> yeah, but we all know, you know like bat, hair, bat, hair, bat hair day, bat hair day. Yeah, when yeah. Hair so Pepe now there's like counterparty. <laughs> yeah, there's like these derivative works now of like other NFTs that are based on that incident called bat hair day, and um, and then I kind of just kind of became very quiet for a long time. I think people kind of grew out of um, doing repepes or NFTs on Bitcoin because there was such a concern about um, the increasing transaction fee on Bitcoin. Like we hadn't really done a lot of discussion yet about um, what would be like the next foreseeable short-term steps for handling the scaling issues. So um, as, as a, as a, I guess, side effect of that is a lot of the people who are working on, is NFT or kind of like, um, I guess, uh, crypto and arts or also like uh, to other types of tokens, that crowd moved over into into Ethereum, which is kind of um, like ironic now. I feel like, you know, we all know at the moment, um, gas fees are like the, the prices for transactions in Ethereum are so expensive and debilitating that it's kind of making it hard for people to, you know, make um, small or like low value NFT transactions nowadays, and so now um, it's we've come for full circle. It's it's a lot cheaper to do it on on Bitcoin again, and um, I think that's one of the reasons of a few um, that Pepe has kind of made a comeback today. So, can I ask a question on the uh, rare Pepe? So, this uh, hair Pepe that you did, can you, what was the process then? To like, I know nothing about NFTs and um, rare Pepe yeah. as well. Uh, what was so the like, process to do it? Right. So, I mean, like, if you, if you, the process now, if you were to do it on, like, an Ethereum, would be, like, you just log into, um, like, you know, uh, Rarible or onto OpenSea, and they have their own little minting tool. Um, I think back then, the easiest way was probably to either use IndieSquare 
or also counter wallet had their own counterparty is counter wallet had like their own little tool to do that and you basically first have to buy like a little bit of um xcp which is a counterparty token you needed uh, at least 0.5 of it to create your own asset basically and so you make a transaction that says create a new asset on counterparty it's called this so it's called hair pepe and it their supply should be x amount so i can define how many can ever exist and i also can decide is it locked like am i able to issue uh, more supply later and also is it divisible so can i divide this token into like 0.1 hair pepes for example and so when you fill out all those fields um in like the in the tool in in counter wallet um you just submit that with your 0.5 uh, xcp and it mints that um that asset and of course you attach a little bit of meta uh, metadata as well so you make a little um is it, there's a, a field where you can point to um a file so it could be an image file it could be a video um but so i would point uh to where i've uh, saved a copy of my herpete original artwork and so when supporting wallets or clients look at um this asset moving around in counterparty they will pull that image and, and recognize okay oh this is this is uh the image this to display so it's very similar to how it works in ethereum it's just kind of a different uh different protocol yeah and then to explain the background a little bit more uh so when after I joined the Bitcoin space in Japan in 2014, I started working on uh, building a counterparty wallet. A counterparty is a protocol uh, on top of Bitcoin, which allows you to issue tokens on the Bitcoin blockchain. So I started, I along with my co-founder and Chris, Christian Moss is actually here, but uh, some other guys started building a mobile token wallet uh, in 2015. And that's how tokens on the Bitcoin blockchain became kind of, the concept became kind of popular in Japan in 2016 and 2017. So including Aya, there's uh, there are some people who play with tokens issue now called NFTs or uh, tokenized assets on the Bitcoin blockchain and playing with them. Um, so that's how a lot of uh, some rare pepe artists are actually uh, Japanese and there's a lot of Japanese uh, pepe, so-called Japanese pepe uh, in the series. So, and uh, for people who don't know about rare pepe, it's just a, just a kind of random project to me, which came out of nowhere. So someone called Mike started uh, tokenizing uh, rare memes or kind of interesting pictures. So, and then people like me and Aya are like, oh, this is kind of funny. And started submitting new uh, arts. And that was kind of uh, one of the original use cases of uh, NFTs, so, so to speak. So that's, that's what, it, what it was. Yeah. Anyway, so another thing I, I would like to add is that um, at the time, uh, Again, I said now a lot of Bitcoiners are considered toxic or, or you know, against all the innovations or everything. But we were, um, at the time, we, we were also skeptical about these ideas ourselves as well. But we're like experimenting with tokens and different things and it was completely fine. But then, uh, and then uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash fork war kind of happened in 2017. And then transaction fee on Bitcoin blockchain went up significantly, which uh, made the counterparty use cases difficult. 
And a lot of people left Bitcoin to uh, Ethereum and other chains. That was 2017. So I, I, I want to get into this. Actually, in 2017, I was already not in Japan mostly. So I didn't know what was happening uh, to the meetup. All I know is after 2017, obviously, Roger and you guys and some other guys had a fighter. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But uh, meetup basically split into Bitcoin BTC meetup and Bitcoin Cash meetup. And I just want to ask you guys what happened. And <laughs> actually, I don't know too much about it myself. So it's kind of interesting. Interesting backstory of the Bitcoin、um, Cash fork. I, I think you have to go back a bit further to、um, probably around summer. Was it summer 2015? So this was a weird time.、Um, and this is when.、Um, You know, the fallout with Gavin and the other developers kind of happened, but also around the same time that I think Ethereum was、uh, launched. And I think around about this time in the summer, I'm pretty sure it was the summer,、um, there was kind of like a fracture throughout the whole community. And I think, you know, what happened subsequently in Tokyo was just kind of a, <clears throat> a, a reaction to that. So, You know, yeah, the New York was, Agreement,、uh, I guess that's what they called it. The, the, yeah, that, that, was kind of,、yeah. that was kind of later, though, because first of all, there was Bitcoin XT, which was a, a fork that Mike Hearn had always maintained.、Um, <laughs> oh, Bitcoin that, XT, that did, I remember. <laughs> that did a, it did a number, you know, a number of、uh, you know, non consensus type, maybe useful things that some people like to run. Um, but um, during the, the The kind of argument with Gavin about increasing the block size, he, he、um, came up with some consensus mechanism to try and decide what the block size should be. And he released this. And that's really when the, the, the fracture started because some people started running it. And at the time, there was no crypto Twitter. So everything was on Reddit. And the kind of more、um, conservative Bitcoiners, you know. Saw this as、uh, basically an altcoin, which was,、uh, you know, you were, you were totally banned from、uh, discussing altcoins on, on, on Reddit. And so they banned any discussion of, of XT. And, and it was right at that point the split, the split happened.、Um, and then right around this time, Vitalik was also, you know, launching Ethereum. And you could see at the time, you know, You could see the split. You could see the people that were attracted to the, to the bigger block size and, and, and happy to change consensus rules. And you could see the people that kind of gravitated towards Ethereum,、um, you know, perhaps thinking they were going to get rich.、Um, and I think that was kind of the, the, beginning, the beginning of the split. And、um, things kind of slowly kind of changed from that point. I, I think that was kind of the, the time, the, the kind of honeymoon period was over.、Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely.、Um, I, I think, like you just said at the time, I think a lot of the people who were kind of、um, skeptical about the whole、uh, r slash Bitcoin、uh, censorship and、uh, keeping the blocks the same size and, and people who were skeptical about that really did split into two different camps, I think. And I think part of,、uh, part of the reason is、um, the people who Didn't really care about decentralization or didn't really care about, like, the, like, just to be clear, people who believe in big blocks 
believe that the big blocks do not affect decentralization. So they do care about decentralization. So like a lot of people say that people who who believe in big blocks don't care about decentralization. It's it's just a fundamental difference in the way of thinking. So so whether or not it does affect uh, decentralization, they do care about it. But I but I do think that the people who didn't care about decentralization and just wanted to make money, they saw that the Bitcoin network was going down because uh, because it's going to stay the same block size and it's not going to scale. And then this new up and coming asset called Ethereum. Uh, is going to be better. So, so the people who didn't care about decentralization and only wanted to make a quick buck were the people who kind of ran to Ethereum, and then the people who kind of, you know, they truly believed in their heart of hearts that big blocks were the way to go for Bitcoin. Um, they, they were the people that kind of pushed, you know, tooth and nail to the bitter end. Uh, you know, for the big blocks. And then when it got to the end and it really seemed like that, uh, you know, SegWit, when when SegWit came out, um, I think it was Luke Dash Jr. came up with the compromise where you could kind of do some accounting trick where it would be a soft fork to essentially increase the block size, you know, maybe two to three, three X-ish, depending on how many SegWit transactions were in the block. Um, and I think a lot of the big blockers kind of took this as kind of an insult and they, they said, well, this SegWit thing is just being shoehorned in so that they don't have to actually do a hard fork and, and increase the block size, which is kind of like a, a non-apology when you're looking for an apology type thing. So, um, so I think that's what really made them mad. And so the whole anti-SegWit thing started popping up and then uh, the hard fork happened and then Bitcoin Cash happened and then Bitcoin Gold happened and then Bitcoin you know, SV happened and you know, all of the different fork coins started happening um so i think yeah definitely uh, in the summer of i think it was 2016 actually not not 15 is is really when it started you started to see people you know buying into the e ethereum uh pre-sale you know the the pre-sale of the pre-mined coins um and then uh buying into that and then, uh, you know, you also see a lot of people that are kind of pushing for Bitcoin XT and Bitcoin. Uh, oh, gosh, there were there were a bunch of other ones. I, I forget their names. No, it was, it, it was definitely it was definitely 2015 because Ethereum launches July 30th, 2015. So, oh, OK, right. it, that, that was kind of my point is, is, is that it took a long time for like the the split to happen. It wasn't like one day we just came to the meetup and everyone like started, you know, kung fu fighting or something it was it was a slow kind of boil i think and then uh, that that happened like over over maybe a year i mean one of the yeah. big eye openings eye openers for me was that that summer when vitalik came uh to the meetup and you know roger introduced him and like he, he's got up to do his like speech about ethereum and roger introduced him as you know this guy's invented ethereum which might even be better than bitcoin and I just was like, what did he just what? say? Really? <laughs> exactly. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And that's when I was like, huh, hold on a minute. Maybe, you know, maybe we all don't have the same kind of outlook here, you know? And, and it was yeah. surprising to me because Roger was such a proponent of Bitcoin. Like he was Mr. Bitcoin. He was the, you know, he, he was Bitcoin. So it was really weird to hear him say that. And, um, yeah, I, th I think um, 
I think Ethereum has a lot to a lot more to answer for than uh, you know than, than people realize. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Roger, Roger, by the way, in, invested in Ripple and some others, right? So I think he's, yeah. he's also a businessman and he he's pretty good at it, I guess. So I, I'd add that. Yeah. Right, but he was supposed to be the Bitcoin Jesus, right? That's what he. <laughs> well, what no, he I, I actually, like, I don't, I don't think he calls him, he calls himself Bitcoin Jesus, or does he? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it feels like a long time ago. Everybody called called him Bitcoin Jesus, but I did didn't like the name myself. But anyways, <laughs> um, wanted to. Ask and I think uh, just one more, just one more thing. Like, like I, the counterparty, sure. I think, yeah. was was also quite, you know, quite popular uh, amongst. Uh, you know, at the meetup and, and amongst Bitcoiners, because you know you could issue tokens, but you didn't have to create some new currency that you were going to pump and dump. You know, so it it allowed you to do all these experiments and cool things with the technology without having to like try and sell some new coin to somebody. So um, that was one of the things I, I think why uh, you know people people loved Counterparty. And you could do most of the things on Counterparty that you can do on Ethereum, really, um, if you wanted to. Um, yeah, so, and, and the best yeah. the best thing about Counterparty, which I thought, you know, compared to the the modern tokens that that uh, do all these NFTs and whatnot, is that um, they didn't have some stupid pre mine. It's like literally in the protocol. In order to in order to create uh, Counterparty tokens, you burn Bitcoin. So like you burn Bitcoin and no one can touch that Bitcoin. And and if you burn one Bitcoin, you get X, X, XCP. So literally like the, the counterparty token is literally burnt BTC. So, you know, I thought that was always great because it's, it's almost as if, you know, um, by com- you're converting the BTC into counterparty tokens. And so, you know, it's not like someone's trying to scam you or, you know, and this is an argument that I, I get into all the time is like, uh, um, you know, the Ethereum tokens were not pre-mined is what some people say. And, and literally it's like, yeah, well, they were pre-sold. So that implies that someone owned them in order to sell them. It's like, no, they didn't. They just, they coded it into all the people who bought it. It's like, yeah, that means that they owned it and then they sold it. And the way that they did that was they coded it into the first block of the of the blockchain. But they literally created it out of thin air to sell to people. So that's a pre mine. Yeah, but counterparty. It was didn't definitely have it was definitely problem. a pre mine, and um, yeah, definitely a pre mine. Yeah. So you know, counterparty. I thought in that in that regard was also a lot less uh, scammy. So even even if they had their own kind of token. It wasn't really a separate token. It was it was almost kind of like a one-way peg side chain-ish thing. You know, uh, at the time, they didn't really have the word side chain yet. But uh, yeah, it was definitely, you know, uh, a very interesting protocol. Uh, but it was definitely very wasteful. Uh, the, the amount of data you needed to embed into a Bitcoin transaction in order to send a sim- simple token was just like 
an average an average transaction just sending bitcoin was maybe about 250 bytes at the time and like the average transaction just sending a simple uh counterparty token or nft or whatever was like maybe like 500 bytes like double the size triple the size so like since fees they go up with the amount of data you're using uh you know a normal uh nft transaction on the bitcoin blockchain would be two to three times the size uh, of a normal transaction, which when the fees were going up in, in late 2017 was just not very feasible anymore. I mean, even normal Bitcoin transactions were getting up into the like $10, $15 at the peak. So, I mean, Counterparty was like, what, like $40, $50 maybe, which is now how much it costs to send, uh, you know, 0.1 Ether. Fun times. So um, I want to shift the discussion a little bit, but one last thing I would add about this discussion is that um, so I, since I was doing a lot of token stuff uh, since 2014, and I was one of probably the first ones to issue a personal kind of creator token, at least in Japan. And I would say at the time, Bitcoin community, people in the Bitcoin community didn't really reject it, but uh, Bitcoiners in general are skeptical and, you know, they don't like dishonest marketing. And although I, I was heavily involved in the concept, early concept of NFTs, I'd, I'm not a big fan of what's happening in the NFT space at the time because there's a lot of pump and dumps and dishonest marketing. And I'm, I'm not against all tokens, but um, there's, to me, there's a clear difference about trying to sell your tokens and kind of lying about what it does and why it's necessary versus, you know, you're kind of being honest about just, just being experimenting with it and it might, the value might go to zero, etc. So, uh, I, yeah, that, that's something I've done. And it, at the time in Japan, uh, tokens are pretty popular, but not just for like dumping on other people, but more like people having fun and issuing Hair Pepe and other Japanese Pepe and stuff like that. So uh, another thing I kind of want to discuss was that in 2017, Japan was Japan's an important market for a lot of people. Uh, one is because uh, Roger was there and it, it was he was in the center of the Bitcoin Bitcoin Cash war, Bitcoin Cash split, and at the time there's a massive community of Bitcoin Cash in Japan, right? Uh, I was I was not in Japan at the time already, but I remember that. And also, Japan was uh, number one in terms of trading volume for Bitcoin in 2017. Do you guys remember that? Feels like a long time ago. Everybody, yeah. like all those people, came from <laughs> came to Japan and asked me, "How can I sell my ICO tokens to the Japanese community? Can you help?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of people came to Japan just because uh, at the time, Japan, the market in Japan was huge. Um, yeah. And Bitflyer, where Aya used to work, they had like 70% of total Bitcoin trading volume in the world or something, right? At the time, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, yeah. So so at BitBank, we definitely saw a huge amount of uh, increase in, in volume uh, and we we definitely were aware of the huge amount of volume that was in Japan. 
Uh, not only that, but um, 2017 was kind of before the Japanese FSA kind of started cracking down on the exchanges. Um, and literally, like, you know, we would get tons and tons and tons of people trying to send us, you know, oh, please list list our shitty coin, like list this, that, and the other thing. And um, it was it was it was really crazy, especially in 2017. The volume was so great, and uh, everyone was trying to get a piece of the Japanese pie. So I uh, I think now has unmuted. I could you try to say something? No, um, it seems like I, I have not. Any technical yes. Issues. Oh, I have an issue with. Mike. Yeah, but I, I can tell you definitely uh, a lot of people might not know why this this kind of uh, Japan boom stopped so abruptly. And the reason why is because uh, at the end of 2017, uh, the, the... Oh, hey, hey. I, how are yeah. you doing? <laughs> Sorry. Yes. So at the, at the end of the 2017 the Japanese tax authority, so like the Japanese tax agency, put out an, an, uh, an announcement saying that crypto-to-crypto uh, -crypto trading would be uh, taxed as if you sold for yen, mm -hmm. and then you use that yen to buy the new coin. And so all of a sudden, everyone had to pay like tons and tons. Like I, like I personally had to pay tons of uh, tons of taxes, even though I never cashed out to fiat. So I, and because right after that announcement happened, end of the year dump came. So all of my holdings were much, much lower when all of a sudden they say, Oh, by the way, you have to pay taxes on all that. And then, so I had to, I had to sell a lot of my crypto for a very low price in order to pay a huge tax bill that I didn't know yeah. I need to pay yeah. until the end of December. It was such so stupid. Yeah, that yeah. luckily I too. <laughs> luckily I bought I bought all my Bitcoin at the meetup and then lost it all in a boating accident. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, tax rate in Japan is max fifty five percent for crypto trade. So that's fifty five. <laughs> It's yeah. it's insane. It's crazy. Wait, yeah, wait, fifty five percent. Yes, max. Yeah, yeah that's, that's insane. I know uh, there's quite there's <laughs> quite a few people that I know who actually have decided to leave Japan, like for basically this reason. Um, many of them have gone to like Singapore or elsewhere, but um, there's definitely a lot of people who have been around for a long time who, if they didn't lose their Bitcoin in a, in a voting accident, they definitely decided to leave to somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, good for yeah, good for Japan. Ben. When did Japan. when did it become fifty five percent? Was it uh, is is that the a general capital gains tax or is it like a, uh, a penalty no. tax on anything uh, crypto? So so the fifty five percent tax is the income tax, and in two thousand and seventeen, that announcement not only it stated that crypto to crypto trading is taxed event, but also it stated that it will be taxed as income. And the, the cap on income is the highest bracket is 55%. And that is, I think it's over $400,000 in a year. So anything that you make over 400000 and that would, because it's, it's treated as income, that would include your salary and anything that you get that is, that is income. And then you add on your crypto trading and anything that is over $400,000 
would be taxed at 55% rate. Uh, and anything, I think, below that is like 45%. And then I think it goes down in, 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 in intervals. So if you are making like maybe a normal average Japanese salary man, which is like $40,000 a year, and then you maybe, let's say you make an extra 10000 on uh, cryptocurrency trading, uh, that extra 10000 for the cryptocurrency trading would maybe be taxed at around uh, 40%. <laughs> so, but if you, if you are making, if you're making like, uh, over $400,000 and you start trading crypto, then that crypto will be taxed at 55%. So can I ask a question going back to, um, the, the, the meetup and the community, uh, what was mm -hmm. happening on the ground in the, in the meetup when, uh, when the forecourts were happening and when, uh, and, and Roger Ver was still in Japan then and kind of pulling <laughs> yeah. the strings. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can, I can jump in on this. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. so, uh, like I was saying, it was kind of a slow thing for a long time. The Bitcoin meetup continued and there was like, like exactly like Jonathan was saying, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the, the people who, who wanted bigger blocks didn't care about decentralization. You know, they really, cared about bitcoin and decentralization and for a long time there was just two kind of groups in the meetup and we would talk about nothing else basically we would just constantly argue and debate the block size um and you know at first it was it, it was totally fine it was totally fine for a long time like you know there was everyone kind of knew who was a, a big blocker and who wasn't and there was just lots of healthy debate around it um this is before Bitcoin Cash kind of was conceived. Um, and, and it's also important to note, like, a lot of the old school um, Bitcoin meetup organizers, like Neil and Roger, they were kind of, you know, leaning towards the big block size. You know, they thought that Bitcoin needs to be used, basically. It needs to be used. It needs to be like um, people need to buy things with it. It needs to be like a almost like a credit card kind of thing where, you, where you've got, you know, the whole world's using it. Millions of transactions are happening. And they they genuinely thought um, and honestly thought that that's how it needed to work and that uh, technology would find a way to scale, basically, uh, would find a way to scale it. So, you know, this went on for, for quite a while. And there was, um, like I was talking about Bitcoin XT, there was Bitcoin Classic, which I think had a two megabyte, uh, two megabyte limit instead of one. There was all kinds of proposals to, to, to try and do it. and you know, ultimately, um, the Bitcoin core and the Bitcoin core group, you know, like the default position was don't change anything. And, you know, it's very easy not to change something. Um, it was very hard to try and get consensus to change anything. And I think over time, uh, the big block has just got more and more frustrated, more and more frustrated. And then there started being rumblings about a new kind of, uh, there was, you know, there was going to be a split off and indeed they created Bitcoin cash. Uh, and so, you know, at that point, the community kind of, uh, well, actually there was the New York agreement, which kind of fell through, but actually, you know, that was more of a VC thing. Uh, the, the, the Bitcoin, the big blockers at the meetup didn't, didn't really go, go for that at all. Uh, Roger included, he wasn't interested in that. Um, I think they'd already decided to do Bitcoin cash at that point. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, uh, they split off and yes, there was a Bitcoin cash community, but they threw a whole lot of money behind it. And, you know, 
hired a lot of people to promote and try and build a community, a lot of influencers, a lot of organizers. Um, you know, there'd be guys showing up in Bitcoin cash kind of, you know, swag and gear, walking around aggressively promoting it and stuff like that. So uh parties too. Yeah. They had like they had a couple yeah. very showy like big events. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so you know, it was very <laughs> much fine. like it was very much like, you know, rather than actually trying to create a genuine fork, it was much more just like a, another shitcoin launch and, uh, you know, aggressive promotion. And, um, but it did originate from, like, genuinely wanting to scale the Bitcoin network for, you know, for, I think, genuine reasons. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, from that point on, um, you know, the kind of meetup kind of, you know, it basically split off into the Bitcoin cash meetup. And then the original kind of Bitcoin people uh, were not able to get access to the original meetup uh, page. Uh, you know, a lot of people were kind of removed from uh, from that position. And uh, so basically, I think the, the closest thing we ever really got to um, replacing the Bitcoin meetup uh, was, uh, I think, the Bitcoin Tokyo Hackers meetup, uh, which is run by Wiz, uh, the guy behind uh, Mempool. And uh, he's also an OG Bitcoiner that's been in, this, uh, in Tokyo for a really long time. Um, and uh, so he has kind of run uh, a more technical uh, geared uh, meetup that has been doing a couple of meets uh, for the past couple of years. Uh, but it's not as frequent as it was uh, back in the day. Uh, you know, I think definitely a large part of that is uh, Ken, uh, Shishiro Ken-san. Uh, he was a huge organizer uh, for the old meetup and he was uh, a good friend. And uh, he was a great guy. He he helped, uh, you know, kind of every. I think it was every week. Yeah, every we I, we did every single week uh, the meetup, and Ken was always there uh, setting yeah. everything up. Yeah, it's the longest running, um, the longest running Bitcoin meetup, like in terms of consecutive, like regular meets, um, compared to all others for a very long time. I think it, we may have been ousted of that role or of that rank <laughs> at some point, but. Um, when did it start? Yeah, two thousand twelve or thirteen, I feel like, and it was on a weekly basis. Um, we would have to skip sometimes, like if we couldn't get a venue or if there just wasn't a very high turnout expected. But um, and all these talks about Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and kind of scaling low transaction fees. Uh, in my opinion, is still relevant in the community in the blockchain space now because now we have Ethereum, Ethereum's fee going up and up <laughs> to a crazy level, which is kind of similar to what we were experiencing with Bitcoin in 2017. And I remember uh, in 2018, I think I was talking with a Bitcoin Cash supporter, Japanese Bitcoin Cash supporter, and he was. I asked him, "What? Why are you supporting Bitcoin Cash?" Which is fine to me it's your opinion but why uh he said i've never experienced a cheap transaction on bitcoin 
and I, yeah. I cannot do anything with Bitcoin. It, that was to me like mind blowing because they've never experienced a cheap fee on the Bitcoin blockchain. Thus, they believe the other chains are better. So this talk about fees being lower or faster is actually quite important for a lot of new people, yeah. and that's something I learned as well. Yeah, I think yeah, at, the, that, at the time is at the time as well, 2015 through 16, the Bitcoin network was under constant attack yes. uh, of people just absolutely spamming it to try and put fees up to prove the point, mm -hmm. you know, that we should raise the block size. Um, as soon as I think pretty pretty much as soon as Bitcoin Cash came along, they stopped they stopped doing that. So you know, I guess you can try and guess who was funding all that, but. Um, Coinbase. Yeah, fee, fee, fees were really high. Coinbase. Um, Coinbase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fees were really high for that reason. I mean, it, it was just, you know, just nonsense uh, amount amount of volume. And they were just trying to do that to kind of influence influence the debate. You know, you know, you know Ben, you know, Ben, I can tell you, I can tell you from personal experience is that, you know, even though BitBank is not by a large part, uh, large part like the largest uh, exchange in the world or anything, but I can tell you if if we decided one day to switch our withdrawal wallets, like our hot wallets with the withdrawals, um, if we wanted to switch it from SegWit to like old addresses and then not batch them at all. So every withdrawal is its own transaction. I mean, we could clog up the blockchain if we wanted to. So like, I, I think what mm -hmm. it was is just, is just Coinbase, you know, having such high volume and uh, they were just like, you know, uh, we could uh, start batching transactions. And I think ba batching transactions for, for withdrawals, so in other words, using multiple outputs instead of multiple transactions for each withdrawal, um, is so much more of a data save than even SegWit. I mean, SegWit is maybe at most like 70% savings. But like if you have 100 transactions versus uh, one transaction with 101 inputs or outputs, then like the data savings is like 99.999% or something like that. It's insane. So, I mean, like mm -hmm. Bit BitBank has been uh, batching uh, withdrawals since day one because it like if you're an engineer and you understand how bitcoin works at all like you immediately are like oh oh yeah we're just going to batch transactions we'll we'll have multiple withdrawals into one uh transaction because that is more efficient it'll save us money on fees it'll save the exchange money on fees it'll save the network on congestion but you know and everyone was telling like if you go back to reddit uh, at the time like when when the when the fees were the highest Everyone's like, yeah, most of that is is uh, coming from uh, Coinbase's hot wallet for withdrawals, and it's like, <laughs> why doesn't why doesn't tell why doesn't anyone tell Coinbase how to freaking like batch transactions together? It's like, oh no, they they definitely know they they hire good engineers. <laughs> they know they're just not doing it for what reasons? Only God may know. Who knows? <laughs> But now I, I hear they, they batch transactions now. Yeah. I just want to add I believe I before that, though, like there was, there was a time, I think 15, from 2015 through 16, where there were just groups just spamming transactions on the block, uh, you know, yeah, on the Bitcoin that network. Too. 
Definitely. I think, yeah, that, that wasn't the, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Probably, um, <clears throat> you know, I think when, um, you know, the kind of huge bull market came for sure that, you know, then, um, Coinbase would have been, would have been the reason. Yeah. Um, but there was definitely people artificially trying to push up the, the size of the blocks that would be made. Um, yeah, definitely for political reasons. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, just want to say, I just, uh, sent out 50,000 sats to one of the listeners. So we have a hat. Yeah. We're going to, got a tax problem. <laughs> we're going to do another hundred K later. Sorry. Continue, please. Uh, I, I did, did you want to add something to what Jonathan or Ben said? I think about the, about the, the congestion well, of time or congestion or may, maybe, or well, some other things. So maybe, uh, what I said, uh, low transaction fees, very important for a lot of uh, kind of yeah. newer entrants. And that's, that's what's Absolutely. happening now yeah, as for, well. Yeah. Right. I mean, from a user experience perspective, absolutely. And that's like, again, one of the reasons why people are kind of looking into NFTs on Bitcoin again. Um, but I mean, it also kind of comes down to like how Bitcoin had been sold and by selling I mean like marketed or, or advertised or told to other people. Um, they was kind of said like, Oh, well, you know, you can do lots of microtransactions and people, and people were thinking about how it can be used in gaming and all this stuff. And I think that kind of became like the expectation. And as soon as that, became difficult um people kind of felt very upset or lied to in a sense well yeah i mean i I feel well ethereum in 2017 when bitcoin transaction fee went up a lot of people went to ethereum and they they would also tell me you should move to ethereum as well because fee is cheaper but at the time, I already kind of knew that's like comparing just in terms of fees, pointless. And if a lot of people move to Ethereum, it will have the same issue as what Bitcoin was experiencing in 2017. Um, and that's what's happening. So I experienced it for, for you know, personally, uh, fee going up in my business. Oh, we were building mm. a token wallet at the time. Stop, stop making sense because before it was like one cent, two cents, and we could send uh, kind of funny tokens, NFTs, rapid pay. But uh, now it's suddenly like $2, right? So yeah, I, I kind of knew uh, already, but, but a lot of people, because of the fee move, and that's what's happening with Ethereum and newer blockchains like Solana, uh, Avalanche, or whatever, uh, a lot of mm-hmm. newer ones. So yeah, yeah. But these new we these we, we experienced newer, it as well. Yeah, <clears throat> these newer blockchains have just been essentially run by exchanges, though, right? Isn't Solana just yeah. FTX running running a, a exactly a database in AWS? Pretty much. No, no, no. Much. No, that, I think that criticism is kind of pointless because they don't really care about decentralization, anyways. Right. So exactly. you guys, so we, like we talked about Bitcoin Cash to, people. Bitcoin yeah, so Cash people actually caring about scale, decentralization. Right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and you know what, you know, what's so interesting though, is that, um, you know, like you were saying, um, for the end user, they don't understand all these complicated, you know, systems and how, how the blockchain reacts to supply and demand of block space and how the fee market reacts and whatnot. And just like you were saying, 
you know, people at the time, they would use Ethereum or they would use Bitcoin Cash or they would use whatever. And they would say, oh, but it's so it's it's so lower fees right now. And I can I can do a, a transaction on Ethereum for two cents, but it takes me one dollar to do it on Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is dead. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ethereum goes up and those people just don't shill it anymore and then they they go to the next blockchain and they say oh, okay yeah no I, I i moved all my investments to solana or i i moved all my investments to uh, i i now host all of my nfts on uh, binance smart chain or some some sort of thing like that and then they start shilling that to other people and then it starts you know breaking down like i i forget like some binance smart chain was like down for a day or some stupid shit like that which makes no sense and then uh and then it was like oh uh, it, oh they're just having some technical difficulties and it's like you know we've kind of come full circle with all of these kind of uh people it's like Yes, we've we've found out that all of these different, you know, supply and demand curves create fee pressure, which increases fees, and we don't want increased fees. So how do we get rid of that? Okay. And then you've got actual people working on actual solutions, which, you know, like in Ethereum, it would be things like, you know, ZK rollups are are kind of a good idea. They're still kind of nascent. Um, you know, in, in Bitcoin land, we've got Lightning, we've got RGB, we've got all these different protocols where we're trying to create um, new protocols that decrease the need for fee pressure while at the same time, you know, keeping the incentive for miners, uh, while at the same time keeping the decentralization of nodes uh, and all of these different things in balance. And it takes a really long time. And I know the meme is like 18 weeks, but uh, like literally, like it, it'll take years. I, I, I do think it'll take years until we get like a really, 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 really strong foundation. And I think that lightning is a great, like it is the best. I think uh, the method that we have that is available right now that can, you know, do, do these cheap transactions. And I know Christian knows this because, you know, he's working with Zebedee and uh, they're doing the whole microtransaction with the games and stuff like that. But Lightning is currently in a state, I think, where it's very, very usable. It's still not 100% there, I don't think. And I think there are a lot of things that can be built on top of Lightning that can, you know, kind of take over all of these other u- use cases like uh, some of the NFTs or whatever, you know, token uh, issuance uh, on RGB and things like that. So when I see all these people who are like, oh, we created a side chain that's like uh, pre-mined, you know, BS. And it's like, uh, oh, we, you know, and then I'm going to go on Twitter and I'm going to badmouth Bitcoin all the time and say, everyone's so toxic. Well, at the same time, you know, pre-mining like 50% of my quote-unquote smart contract Bitcoin side chain and then shilling it to other people. But, uh, you know, I won't name names, but, you know, I I think we all know what kind of people are kind of going around doing their different projects and and trying to shill things and kind of doing the, the same thing that we've been seeing since, you know, uh, 2015 where all the kind of scammers come to the meetups and they try to sell people their things uh and then you lift up the lid and it's not really decentralized it's not really it's just got all these different point single points of failure 
and uh, and the end users they don't care. They just see, oh, I install a wallet and I can use it, and it's great. You could you could literally just have an SQL database on the back end, and they wouldn't care. They'd be like, oh, it works so great, and it's decentralized. Oh, are you telling me it's decentralized? Okay, I believe you. But uh, you know, they just want a good user experience, and I think. Right now, uh, Lightning and Bitcoin is still very, I think, rough around the edges. And I think we need to get more and more uh, kind of like UX-focused um, wallets. Uh, I, I do think that a lot of the Lightning wallets that have come out recently are really good with UX, but I think we still have a lot farther to go, which I think is is really, it's really hopeful though, I think. Uh, what do you think are, which, what do you think would be a good example of, like a lightning wallet that has a really good, strong UX for the onboarding experience. I feel like once you know how it works, um, it's a lot you can get away with, but for someone who would know nothing, which would she think is a good example? Well, have, have personally... you tried, uh, have you tried breeze before? Aya? Breeze, breeze wallet. Yeah, yeah. Breeze is pretty good. It's uh it's non-custodial, but, uh, they offer pretty much the same UX as uh, custodial wallet where users don't really need to know about channel management. They, they can just start using it without worrying about it. So that, that's pretty cool and clever. I like Breeze. Yeah, I, uh, I personally like, uh, I like Blue Wallet uh, for small amounts because it is technically custodial. Um, I wouldn't put too much money in it, but I also like um, uh, the uh, Umbrella. So if you have enough money to kind of buy your own node, then I think the Umbrella experience is actually really nice. And you can also install like the Blue Wallet uh, app so that you can make the back the back end of your Blue Wallet to be Umbrella. And I think if you can kind of get over the first initial hurdle of setting up the blue the Umbrella, which is I think pretty easy for what it is. Um, but once you get the umbrella set up and you set up the blue wallet app, then it's it's pretty easy once you set it up. But like you said, onboarding is pretty difficult. If the the initial hurdle is you need to buy this four hundred dollar machine or you need to buy a Raspberry Pi and a bunch of all these different parts and put them together, um, so I think definitely there needs to be more uh, access to Lightning for people that is kind of semi-custodial or non-custodial in a clever way where the user doesn't need to have their own node. But so, sorry, be... sorry, Jonathan. Um, um, maybe we're getting too too much into the weeds of, um, yeah. of uh, wallets <laughs> and, and sure. on our track from, from Japan. Because sure. uh, the real goodie here is um, I think a lot of us haven't heard uh, about uh, all this stuff about Japan that you guys Yeah, know. sure. But, but by the way, if there's anyone in the audience who wants to ask questions, uh, we'd welcome you to uh, hop in and ask questions. Or then there's something I want to talk about. Uh, Jonathan oh, gee, you have an instant question <laughs> from Tao. Yeah. Are there a question? Who? You have a question from Tao. Tao. Hey, guys. Oh, sure, sure. Great Tao. space going on. Yeah. Glad to hear Glad to hear about all the you know information of the early Bitcoiners in Japan. Um, I have have two questions. Um, first question is, I think it it's very interesting, and I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but 
what is it with the um, Mount Gox, right? And Satoshi Nakamoto, right? The name being the pseudo creator <laughs> of Bitcoin that we don't know about. Um, was Mt. Gox at that time the biggest exchange in the world? Yes. Yeah, by, yes. by far. Okay, so, so isn't it, that kind it, of... It was really the only, the only place people use, right? Yeah. Um, so don't you guys think that's a bit interesting? I mean, the biggest exchange is in Japan, and Satoshi Nakamoto is kind of a Japanese name, so... Did you guys ever sort of question that? And I wanted to see what 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 you guys think about that. <laughs> yeah, um, conspiracy yeah, theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I I definitely I I think the the funniest the funniest story I have in regards to that is um, uh, when Ben was working on Ninky Wallet, he had a partner named Dan. And Dan was convinced that I was Satoshi. <laughs> he, was, he was like, he was like, you're you're a white guy living in Japan, speaking fluent Japanese. You go to the Bitcoin meetup, you must be Satoshi. <laughs> and I was like speaking like uh, I was talking about like all these crypto protocols with Ben um, because I was really into Ninky Wallet, and I thought it was great. Uh, but like, yeah, when you went to the meetup, like you would always hear people being like, I think Roger is Satoshi, or I think, I think maybe, maybe, maybe Jimmy Honma is, is actually Satoshi. <laughs> or, I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I think Ken, Ken, Ken is Satoshi or, uh, you know, everyone well, speaking was saying, of, like, speaking of conspiracy theories. Okay. So, um, yeah, Mount Gox was the only exchange in the world run by this, uh, guy, French guy, Mark Capellas, who was. He was previously a regular at the meetup um, before the collapse, I think. <clears throat> now, what's definitely not a conspiracy is that <clears throat> the FBI were targeting Mark. And, the, you know, there were agents. Uh, I think there was one corrupt agent even blackmailing him. And this agent was, you know, uh, was arrested and convicted in a court in America. So a lot a lot of people a lot of us used to speculate like are there any spooks here at the meetup you know because there was so many influential people and there was so yeah. so much kind of activity in japan that would always be something we'd be suspicious of is you know is anybody here a fed or some kind of you know government uh, government agent so when when um new people would show up at the meetup we'd always like kind of uh try, <laughs> try and figure that out <laughs> um uh, let, let me answer this question. It's kind of interesting. As a Japanese person myself, uh, I think the creator of Bitcoin's name is Satoshi, which the Japanese name is cool. But uh, for the majority of Japanese people, I don't think they really care. <laughs> They're like, oh, why is, it, why is the creator's name Japanese? Oh, interesting. But that's it. It's, it's, it's yeah, not it was, like it was probably, there's a huge difference. Like they probably like Pokemon or something. It's just so, yeah. yeah. It it does kind of feel like a little bit like a placeholder name. Like I mean, I'm, there are I'm sure plenty of yeah. real actual you know Nakamoto Satoshi sound I mean, around. It's not, real, it's not it's, a real Japanese yeah. name, right? It's not. No one. Will, <laughs> no one's actually called that, right? It's like. Well, I'm uh, pretty sure. Yeah, there I mean, must there be. are some, but <laughs> there are probably. But it's yeah. just so. It's so generic. It's a weird you know? name. It's like though, right? it's not it's, quite John Doe, but. It's like calling yourself so, Smiths and Jensen or something. Or, I don't know. Like, it's just <laughs> well, a weird name. Right? Well, so, 
So in, in Japanese, kind of like in, in English, where you have kind of placeholder names that you see on like uh, examples for filling in forms or something. It's like John Doe is a famous one. Uh, in Japanese, the most famous one is Yamada Taro or something <laughs> something Taro. But, um, but I think Na- Nakamoto Satoshi is, is still a pretty generic name. I think if you saw it on a... Uh, like an example for a filling out a form or something, it would it would feel very natural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't that yeah. the building in Die Hard plus the guy, the guy from Pokemon, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Pokemon Master <laughs> so, yeah. Satoshi. Yeah, only Craig, only Craig Wright could have thought of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, who? Because as okay. we know, as we know, Craig Wright has all 151 Pokemon. <laughs> okay, Tal. Well, well, uh, is is the answer fine, or what was your second question? Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That, no, that's good. I just thought I was interesting because you know, we're talking about Japan things like that, and then that's just popped in my mind. I actually have a different question. Um, regarding the you know on the ground regarding merchants and users, um, I don't expect that there's a lot of activity where people are using it, but. Um, how are the merchants, um, what is the adoption looking like as far as merchants accepting Bitcoin, whether it's just regular on chain or a uh, lightning, how are merchants adopting it? Is, is it like, what, what, what do you think? It's like very, very middle mm-hmm. or average or, or a lot. Mm-hmm. Back I in like the, the, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the beginning days, like when the meetup was still in its kind of like, you know, early golden age era. Um, a lot of the restaurants and bars that we went to for a meetup um, did take um, a Bitcoin for payment. So, you know, as we have our meetup, we can pay for our beers and stuff with Bitcoin. Um, a lot of that was thanks to um, probably Roger's work and also um, an exchange like CoinCheck um, had their own kind of payment uh, services uh, kind of app that made it easy for merchants to start accepting Bitcoin. And uh, over time, like some larger stores as well, integrations with um, large exchanges would also have like point of sale terminals for Bitcoin. Does that mean that like it's very common to use now? Um, by no means, not at all. Uh, but I feel like uh, at least in the news world, there's definitely been a few big sort of major partnerships with exchanges in Japan and um, retailers. Kind of like the Japanese version of uh, of Best Buy, and it's called like Big Camera. They take Bitcoin through a similar kind of um, exchange partnership. Um, as far as Lightning, um, I haven't seen too much stuff uh, yet, but um, there are definitely a few places. And of all places in Japan, of course, like Tokyo definitely has the strongest like um, uh, Bitcoin POS uh, uptake, I think. One, th- one thing I wanted to uh, just go back to uh, for the Mount Gox question was um, during the early days of the um, well, not the early days. When I first started going to the Bitcoin meetups, there were kind of Mt. Gox refugees there. So there were some people who had lost so much oh, Mt. Yeah. Gox that they flew out to Japan <laughs> and they were staying here yeah. to try, you know, to try and like get hold of Mark or try, yeah. try and get their money back. You know, people who had lost, you know, I mean, God knows what it would be worth now, but you know, they'd lost like a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars or something and flown all the way to Japan to try and like get their money back, basically. So. There was one guy who was Colin, who was quite famous because I think he was interviewed by all the um, the major oh, media. Yeah. So he would be there every week, and um, yeah, there were all these people trying to figure out um, 
what happened to the money. Also, a lot of us were in contact with Mark at the time as well. Um, via, he wouldn't, he didn't come to the meetups, but he would chat quite. Ag- mm, I suspect um, Ben has fallen victim to the same bug that I had earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so let me let me answer. So merchant adoption in Japan, uh, it was definitely better in 2017 before the altcoin bubble came. Uh, mm-hmm. CoinCheck, for example, are more focused on payments. At least that's what they were saying pre 2017. That was uh, one of the largest exchanges in Japan, uh, CoinCheck. But uh, after the altcoin bubble, they they were busy like listing new tokens. Or also, they got hacked in 2018. After that, all the Bitcoin payments, uh, uh, including uh, the, the reason the Bitcoin transaction fee going up, also didn't help. But regulation uh, shift of focus to altcoin listing, altcoins and selling altcoins, kind of uh slowed bitcoin uh, merchant adoption of bitcoin payment in japan and now there's probably very few merchants who accept bitcoin or lightning payments now uh with that said i have talked to some uh payment professors in japan or exchanges in japan and they were actually still interested and they had some technical difficulty uh accepting on-chain payments uh, and they were hoping uh, Lightning would help some of that mitigate some of their issues in terms of Bitcoin payment. So maybe with Lightning, we'll see more adoption of mer- more merchant adoption of Lightning payment in Japan. So I'm hoping, but we'll, we'll see. It's it's gonna take yeah. some more time. Yeah. Well, if every like time you spend it is like a kind of a sort of like a ta- potential taxable event, like when people uh, right. hear that, they feel like they're they're really hesitant to 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 use it on like a, a normal basis like that. Right. Uh, what, what, that, that's right. So it's a, it's considered a taxable event. So most majority of Japanese people are very, very serious about reporting taxes. Like even if it's one yen, like one cent, they would like, Hey, I have to report <laughs> taxes and stuff like that. And that's what we're discussing around the end of the year right now. Right. How do we report DeFi profits and stuff like that? Um, but uh, so yeah, for domestic payment, this this uh, taxes are actually a huge barrier. But in my personal opinion, once we're kind of over COVID and entry restriction, and we can travel more free, more freely, maybe we can open up. We can merchant can adopt Lightning Network for foreigners visiting Japan, for example. And that's to me uh, uh, that use case to me makes more sense. So that that's my personal opinion. Um, well, I think spend, spending Bitcoin is always a difficult thing. I mean, I, you know, we were all very kind of almost like activists about trying to get people to to adopt Bitcoin to, to accept payments at bars and restaurants and, and you know retail places and stuff like that. But um, you know, the amount of the amount of Bitcoin I spent at bars and restaurants and stuff like that, of course, you regret it now, right? It's like you know, probably spent half a million dollars on beer yeah, or something. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> yeah. kind of. So I think like if, if you have a way to spend it, but replenish the, the amount that you spent, you know, automatically or, or something like that um, w- w- would be great. But it's, it's quite hard. Like if, if you believe in Bitcoin, why would you spend it? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a conundrum. Um, uh, yeah, unless yeah. you have a way but, to, yeah. Yeah. But at the so, same time, if, 
if most of your savings in Bitcoin, for example, you don't care, right? You just need to pay for stuff anyway. So, and the difference between 2016, 17, and now is a lot of Bitcoiners, early Bitcoin adopters, will made a lot of money or their purchasing power increased. And if the majority of their wealth is in Bitcoin, they don't care if they pay for like $7 beer. If there's a lightning payment or something, I think there's a huge difference when Bitcoin was irrelevant and the yeah, price was when Bitcoin, still when very Bitcoin low. Goes up to two, when it goes up to two million dollars a coin, you will care. No, if, if you pay seven <laughs> seven dollars in Bitcoin, you you buy ten dollars of Bitcoin and you're good. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, but hey, I think you know what I mean. Yeah. So, um, if I remember back in 2015 was. Christmas 2015 visited Bali and there was like Bitcoin payment encouragement all over the place. Um, just one small screenshot outside of uh, Japan where I, I think the first time I encountered a lot of uh, encouragement to do um, Bitcoin payments. What's, what's, the, what's the status now in, um, in the Japanese Bitcoin community? Are you all... Are you all like deeply engaged in um, in um, yeah in developing it now? And uh, I know Koji is um, uh, working with uh, Lightning Payments and, uh, and Diamond Hands. Right, right. Japan. Is that yeah? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this. So, what's happening now in Japan? And one thing is, I'm. I don't live in Japan anymore, although I'm still involved with the Japanese community very often uh, online. But uh, I, I actually moved to Canada as well. I actually didn't know until recently. And a lot of people yeah. who went to meet up early days, they also kind of went different places. And like I don't really meet them anymore in person. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've met Aya for a long time, for example. Yeah, but most uh, of us, I think, at least among the speakers here, most of us are, or many of us are still working, you know, in, in Bitcoin. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, Jonathan works for BitBank, which is one of the major exchanges in Japan. Uh, Ben's also a co-founder of Signals, which is a kind of like a BlockFi type service. So we're still working on Bitcoin and other uh, blockchain crypto things. But uh, what, what's happening now in Japan is um, after 2018 or so, when the bubble popped, 27 bubble popped, and there are a lot of new, younger people getting involved, younger developers, entrepreneurs, but they're mostly building on Ethereum and some other new chains now. So not many people actually uh, became or focused on uh, Bitcoin development. Uh, with that said, uh, Diamond Hands, which is a local Lightning Network community in Japan, which I, I and uh, Ogawa-san, my friend, started in uh, sev- uh, a few months ago in June, I think. And surprisingly, it went well, and we have like more than 300 people running full nodes now in Japan. So I would say there's still definitely some interest in supporters of Bitcoin in Japan, and that's much better than uh, other countries like uh, Korea, for example, which is a good comparison to Japan a lot of times. And one of the reasons, in my 
opinion is because of the involvement of uh, you know people like Jonathan Aya and Ben in early days and uh, those OGs are still kind of involved in uh, working at the front line and this also kind of is helping uh, helping building the Bitcoin community in Japan so I have been to Korea uh, several times and you know interact with Bitcoin community there there is a Seoul Bitcoin Meetup, which is which is quite small, but it's a very very serious, uh, strong community. But most Korean, most people, community members in Korea uh, entered mark entered industry after 2017. So most of them don't really care. They straight to other coins or blockchain. And also regulation in Korea is uh, uh, it's easier in Korea to issue tokens and sell tokens. Uh, than Japan, so that's also another reason. Uh, it, it's kind of difficult to issue a new token in Japan because of regulation and sell uh, dump on retail. So Japan's Bitcoin community is still quite small compared to some other countries, but I think it's actually surprisingly better than most other countries in some also, way. Uh, so also definitely definitely a shout out to uh, Nicholas Dorier, who's based in Japan. He does a BTC pay server. All right, BTC. He's yeah, kind of, BTC kind of a legend. Yeah, yeah. So he he was uh, he was around the meetups in in the early days as well. And uh, so it does. There yeah. are you know there's Wiz as well. You know there's a, there's a lot of people here who are um, in development and stuff like that. And um, I guess the meetups aren't happening anymore. But you know they yeah. they should do. We should do it. We should. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the the funny story funny story with Nicola Nicholas is uh is I actually uh, told him to come to Japan because uh we had uh, talked to each other through private messages on Bitcoin Talk the message board and uh I remember I he was he was telling me I've always wanted to go to Japan and I'm working for this uh company called Medical and I can work wherever I want so I'm thinking to move around the world and live in many places and I said Japan's really great you should come you should come to the meetup it's really fun uh and uh, he came to Japan and he lived here for a while and then he got married and now he has a kid and he lives in Japan <laughs> yeah yeah He's he's settled in Japan. Um, so, but Jonathan, what are you doing, think about Jonathan? I didn't know that. That was your doing. I didn't know that. Well done. Thank. Yeah. So, Christian, Christian from Zebedee is also listening, but uh, he's kind of he has a he's a similar story, although he left Japan uh, a couple a couple years ago now. Although I but, think well, I think Christian yeah, Christian uh, Christian came to Japan because uh, his uh, wife is uh, he met her outside of Japan and uh, and so I, I think it was through his wife is his uh, how he kind of got into Japan. Chrissy, uh, jump on the mic. Yeah, <laughs> Jonathan, what do you think about the current Bitcoin community in Japan and how does it compare to? other like the u.s or maybe some other countries you've been to and also uh i think there's a lot about the culture um that affects how bitcoin community is in different countries so is there any opinion or yeah um, anything to say so, yeah so i i think that uh definitely the the japanese culture uh is very uh i i think it, it's it's very like um 
I, I don't know exactly how, how to say it or to, how to put it, is there's a, there's a big uh, effort, there's a big uh, emphasis on like kind of community or like uh, kind of uh, listening to your peers. Uh, I, I don't want to say peer pressure, but like peer pressure is kind of, kind of uh, accurate. Uh, so like a lot of people who get into the crypto space, they get into it because of a friend or someone that they know who is also into the, uh, into the uh, scene. And so they will go and, and, and invite them. And so if they invite them and say, oh, uh, Ethereum is great, you should invest in Ethereum or uh, Ripple is great, you should invest in Ripple uh, or you should invest in this, that and the other thing, then usually that person will also invest in the same thing and will be very, uh, you know, enthusiastic about the thing. So I, I think in Japan, more so than other countries, you tend to have very, very uh, eccentric groups around specific currencies or specific tokens, um, even more so than uh, other countries. I, I see on Twitter that a lot of people who uh, there's like a lot of bot accounts that will kind of shill some coin or something like that. Um, but in Japan, I feel like there's a lot less bots and it's just a lot more people who are uh, easily influenced by their peers uh, to kind of kind of uh, push forward a certain coin. Whereas I, th I think like Ripple, Japan, isn't Ripple, uh, Ripple is one of the biggest uh, holders of Ripple or Japanese people. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yes. We love Ripple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Ripple. Oh, no, Ripple not me, is but, very, yeah. Ripple is very big in Japan, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But th this is important because uh, like it kind of relates to what Tao was saying, but we don't really care if the creator of anonymous creator of the of Bitcoin protocol's name is Japanese or not. We're like we would like to follow kind of strong leader figure whether we, we say it or not. And that's, you know, a lot of the times that's what I observe. And something like Ripple is very popular in Japan is because they look kind of professional and they have a strong leadership marketing team. And we like banks, right? So yeah. that's that's kind of how Japanese community always has been. Yeah. Now they say so anyone the, anyone who wants to be a leader shouldn't be a leader. And that's why Satoshi's great. Yeah, he just the, fucked off, you know. There's a there's a there's a there's someone with a question. Yeah, so hi everyone. Hello Japanese friend. Yeah, Koji, I must say that uh, whatever you guys are doing on the name of a crypto right now, it is the great thing, right? I recently read about how Japan is the country which is not that much involved in the NFT. And that is a great thing because people are not losing the money. The other thing is you guys are still behind the, you know, who is the company, who is the people. So you are not indulged with the shit coins or other altcoins, which is very poor. So that is again a great and uh, it doesn't matter whosoever so people say, but still there is a strong base of community who is believing that Nakamoto would be from the Japan. And I'd be so happy if he will be from the Japan because we do believe in, a, you know, what are the ethics or manners that Japanese have. Like when I was a kid, I used to hear that you guys roam around with the stitch, uh, with the, like a... Uh, 
with the things in your pocket that whenever you see something uh, ter- terrible or something not good in a in a government bus you guys literally stitch it by yourself so that is the great good manner so so nothing is bad in the terms of whatever is happening on a chapan in terms of a cryptocurrency they are like going or getting better every day with the without the shit coin so that is a huge thing right yeah definitely um so so yeah definitely uh japan uh for many many years is is very uh, kind of uh conservative and also very uh interested in community so like you said uh from many years ago like uh you know people if they see something that is broken they will they will fix it even if it's not their own they know it's someone else's but they will fix it because it is it is broken and it is something that needs to be fixed so they will fix it or they will pick it up uh however i do think that in recent years uh japanese society has kind of sort of slowly kind of become more like lower and lower but i do think that there's still uh the very kind of uh uh idea of kind of uh, harmony uh in the society and i think that does carry over especially in the regulation uh where uh they are they're being very kind of conservative with uh what they whitelist uh which i think is a, a very japanese approach uh yeah, like, and i think I, very japan was the first country like in my in my journey of crypto i remember that uh, you know if any country has started giving a salary in a bitcoin then it was the japan if you if any old guy over here remember how to, how japan announced about it in a 16 or 17 i guess yeah 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 definitely awesome thanks so much for your question and um it looks like christian also joined so maybe christian wants to talk about how he got to japan cuz we were talking for him <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Christian is also a big part of early Bitcoin community in Japan, I would say. Well, still is. I don't know if he can speak, but uh, I don't know if his mic is ready. Oh. Hey, hey Christian. Yeah. Yeah, so my baby woke up at 4am here, and I was feeding him with a bottle feeding him, and then I saw the group, so I thought I'd listen while I was making my baby go to sleep. But, uh, Um yeah I actually I first went to Japan like 2010 actually after the university uh and uh, but I didn't know anything about bitcoin then and then I went to Australia for a few years with my girlfriend who wanted to learn english and learned about bitcoin in Australia then went back to Japan and uh when I went back to Japan it was like I I I returned as a bitcoiner so Is there anything you 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 want to add in terms of uh the Bitcoin community in Japan was back in I don't know 2017 18 or how it is and how it's different from let's say the Bitcoin community in in England for example I'm not too sure about that so <laughs> well like so it's weird because like I first started in Australia like 2013 and there was no real community there at all but, like like we tried to make one but it was kind of quite sparse and yeah there wasn't a meet up there really as such so when i went to japan it was crazy that there was an organized meet up and uh, i think like the first one i went to was like at an embassy and uh, i think i remember meeting aya there because i had a saratobi t-shirt and uh, she liked the t-shirt i remember that <laughs> so oh, that yeah. was quite <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was crazy 
And uh, yeah, so that was like, it was just great, you know, it's just like compared to Australia, but Australia is quite like that. Like not a lot happens in Australia, but you know, Tokyo is a mega city. Uh, but what, coming what back embassy, to England. What embassy was it at? The Austrian embassy. The Austrian embassy. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't there, Ben. I think you had like flipped off the radar for a bit and then you came back later. I can't remember. But <laughs> yeah, but that was just, yeah, it was crazy. And then there's obviously I met Ken, the famous Ken and, uh, uh, yeah, so well, yeah, but I, I think everything you guys said about Japan, like I'll just be rehashing stuff. But I can, maybe I can speak from England because now I'm I'm in the UK now. And uh, when I first came here, yeah, I, I did try to get involved in the meetups here. And uh, like the one thing that London has that Japan never really had is like a, a bit devs, which is quite cool for developers. Uh, so like the states has a bit dev so bit devs is like kind of like the best meetup you can go to if you're interested in bitcoin tech and development so that was like you know uh, we'd have some core developers who would do it and that, that that was great but it was very very small this like this is like 2019 and there's only like 10 people there <laughs> uh, but mainly london being like a big finance city like all the big meetups for like altcoins and finance stuff and uh sv uh had like a presence there as well because craig wright was here um so uh but yeah and then like covid happened right like like uh not long after i came back so like we, there wasn't really anything right so it's hard to really say what the meetup is like but uh then for reference i i go to a manchester meetup now and then which is quite funny <laughs> are you are you are you close to manchester Yes, Manchester is the closest I go to. So that is very different to London. Uh, in, uh, Christian, which borough in Manchester? Sorry? Which borough in Manchester? You're in the centre? Like, oh, just the Manchester City. City, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I, I, I like been to the meetup in a Manchester back in a 15, bro, when I was studying over there. It is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like... So cool. Yeah, so I won't talk too much about Manchester. Obviously, this being about Japan, but yeah, like you know, it's it's you know, it's very different, and uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, generally, it, 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 I, I guess people in Manchester are very different to people in Japan, right? So, one thing I didn't see so much in Japan is you don't get as many like the nat- well. There's very few really kind of hardcore Bitcoiners who are actually Japanese a lot. I felt in the Japanese meetups, a lot of them were just us Westerners or foreigners, right? So I guess that kind of libertarian anarchist streak you see more in like meetups in America and England, but in Japan less so. But maybe that's just Japanese people are hiding their truth feelings about Bitcoin. It's hard to kind of uh, read them. Um, they weren't as so i mean it's also because they're not as like maybe as when i say loud i don't mean like volume loud but like they're just not as 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 maybe eccentric i guess i mean ken shishido ken absolutely is like probably one of like the most hardcore like definitely like firm you know from the very beginning believers and koji but but developers i think is like not as not as many for sure that's true um i think like Somebody mentioned like about the Satoshi Nakamoto name and like I mean Gox of Big Six Exchange being in Japan. I remember Ken telling me once uh, that like 
because he's kind of like a, a born again Christian, and uh, seeing all these things about Bitcoin in Japan, he really felt that um, Bitcoin was like the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and like Satoshi, yeah. Satoshi Nakamoto was probably the second coming of Christ, and then and then he also thinks Craig Wright is. Satoshi Nakamoto. So I'm putting two and two together. You think Craig Wright? Well, Bitcoin was was a virgin birth in a way. Well, it has a lot of religious elements, I guess. Yeah. Um, Well, well, there's still a Bitcoin SB community in Japan, I'm not sure. I mean, Ken Ken is in it. Surprisingly, yeah, I think there is for sure. Oh, there is. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely definitely a few few guys who went SV for sure. Definitely. Um, Yeah, I remember a few. Uh, Who's the guy? There's another guy. Sato, Ken Sato or someone. He's a SV. Yeah, he used to to go to the meetup. But that's quite interesting that, that, like, Craig, in a way, kind of, Japan is, is also the birth of the SV, in a way, I kind of feel, because, like, Craig Wright kind of went there, didn't he, and kind of targeted the Bitcoin Cash people at the meetup to kind of win them over, and probably Ben remembered the meetups. It was, like, weird when he was at the meetup and everybody was just, like, high five and so I think uh, he was here at the same time as like Luke Jr. was Luke, here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was me, Jonathan, and Nicola were like on a small corner with Luke. <laughs> Everybody else was just like <laughs> high fiving. Yeah. Right. I, I, but I, I think at one point, Bitcoin Cash community in Japan was bigger or louder in Japan than the Bitcoin uh, BTC community. And I oh, had a lot of. No, it definitely I was. was. Kinda, it was? Oh, yeah, I was kind of attacked because, on online by like Bitcoin well, cast supporters, Craig, whatever, right? <laughs> I, I, I think uh, Craig basically was targeting Roger. That was why he was here. I remember yeah. I was at a meetup with Gu Koji where Mai had organized and she brought Roger to talk and he had a Q&A with Roger and uh, and this was like at the height of like the wars and uh, but Craig Wright wasn't really out then and then like the last question to Roger was like uh, do you know who Satoshi Nakamoto is and I'm not sure if you remember this Koji but Roger basically kind of he kind of like started to smile and he said well I, I can't he basically said I'm, I'm paraphrasing but he said like I can't actually say too much but let's just say Satoshi Nakamoto is coming out he's coming you know and he was so happy because <laughs> yeah, Craig, when Craig Wright uh, yeah. came Craig out convinced, Craig he was a big locker Craig convinced him but to Roger's credit afterwards when he realized he'd been duped he came out and said look I've been duped and Roger was always yeah, like yeah. that like he's very extreme but uh, you know I don't know he's a complicated character but uh, he would always kind of be Honest, I think if he, if he, yeah, no, I agree. He made he a mistake. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, wait a minute. Aren't you the person who said you thought he was a spy? Or you said, so, uh, yeah, no, no, that's Ninky Dan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ninky Dan, Ninky Dan was always saying that, uh, that, uh, that Roger was the FBI and that I was Satoshi and that, like, he, he had all these theories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, at some point, Bitcoin Cash community was bigger in Japan than the Bitcoin community. And, well, it and was, like I was saying before, it was a paid, it was a paid thing. Like, I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember being, do you remember yeah. the meetup? Uh, but, remember the parties were better. Dogs when um, uh, Peter, uh, <laughs> God, I've forgotten his name now, the, the, the greatest Bitcoin developer, he, he did, uh, you know, the um, uh, S- 
um, he did the uh, the library that does the uh, Super. the whole big Super, yeah. Yeah. Peter yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, remember that at Two Dogs. He was there, yeah. and then all these Bitcoin Cash like hip hop crew showed up, like with gold chains and like orange <laughs> fucking Bitcoin Cash stuff, and they like walked in like this Backstreet Boys kind of posse, and like I started know. like you know shilling shilling Bitcoin Cash to every, uh, to everybody. And I'd ha- added about six pints, and I was like, I'm not taking this. Sepper's here, and you're disrespecting you're disrespecting the Bitcoin meter. So I just went over and got in a big <laughs> argument with them. I mean, it was great. But, but, but my point is that these guys were obviously paid. They were all dressed up and they were, they were like, you know, yeah. they had the community organizer with them. They, they had a deal with the bar that they were sponsoring. You know, it was a funded kind of campaign, whereas, you know, the, big, uh, the Bitcoin community was, was never funded. It was just, you know, completely voluntary. And uh, everyone yeah, was just you had there some YouTubers and come on, didn't you? But. I kind of think like the Bitcoin meetup at a point it it died because obviously uh, they stopped organizing it. So like Roger and like Ken, they still had well, they still had the ownership of it. But anyway, but like the meetup stopped being organized. So I think it was just me, Jonathan, Nicola, and Ben. We just used to go to a pub for a while, didn't we? They're called Lightning People. So that was like the intermediate <laughs> meetup until like the hackers thing started. So it kind of you know it's. Really, it's like you know the the tribe out of Africa. The human race has dwindled down to a few people. Almost. <laughs> I mean, yeah. a, a meetup still going ra- going on like all over the world, and it's just the Tokyo one that's kind of faded out, or is this just a trend? Like, I, I feel like in the early days, yeah, it, was in the UK, more, yeah. uh, it was much more of a community. Yeah, it makes it harder. Here in, sure. here, in Viet- here in Vietnam, we're uh, in Saigon. Uh, we're still doing uh, a weekly one. Uh, Koji Dominique said a. Uh, he um he's met you a bunch of times when you've been over yeah, yeah, Vietnam. Yeah. yeah, I've been to Vietnam and visited the uh, local community, Bitcoin community in Vietnam a few times, and it's great. Um, but well, this this one thing I wanted to say was that um, it was kind of easy to influence uh, people, quote unquote, pe- community members in Japan or in other countries, and they could have they could get really loud for wrong reasons or, you know, for some BS reasons for some time. But, uh, and I, I got attacked by some Bitcoin cash people online as well, or like, you know, saying nonsense or something, but they, they're all gone. I didn't say anything back, but, uh, they disappeared after a few years. So a lot of, there's still a lot of noise in the crypto community in general, but I always kind of think about what was, what happened to Bitcoin cash and other things back in 2017, 18. And, you know, uh, it, sometimes it, if it doesn't make any logical sense, it doesn't last for a long time. And I see a lot of, a lot of similarities in uh, general crypto space today as well. Like NFT, for example, NFT is fine. Um, I, I was, uh, doing early NFT related stuff as well, but the current NFT bubble, for example, I think it's a bubble and it's just overhyped and uh, just so much noise. But uh, yeah, if there is any questions from the audience, we would love to answer. Um, if not, if there are some other topics that other participants want to talk about, I would love to. I, I have time, but. Uh, uh, any well, questions time, from the audience? I was just getting started. I thought this was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what do you want to talk about? Your uh, personal fight with Roger? 
I found it kind of funny <laughs> at the time. <laughs> like <laughs> you and Roger. I don't even remember it was a personal fight. I just, you know, a lot of people didn't argue with him to his face, I think, because they that, that's true. that's true. They kind of worshipped him. So I felt it was my duty to like tell him stuff to his face because no other people wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I remember. That's pretty funny. Yeah. I also remember I also remember uh, Ben used to get into big arguments with Neil. Neil yeah. Booth, yeah. Interesting, interesting guy because a very technical guy and, you know, he had um, a very libertarian of outlook. I think. Yeah. yeah, a very technical guy, very smart guy. He had a, a very uh, libertarian outlook, like he was a hardcore libertarian. He was, you know, the quintessential, kind of the ultimate Bitcoiner in a way. But he, his view was that, you know, Bitcoin needed to scale and be, become a payments, uh, a payments processor, you know. And I, I loved arguing with him because, you know, he... Yeah, but that was that was really his opinion. I think like me versus him was kind of the crux of the whole the whole argument. You know, um, my view was it needs to stay small so it can be decentralized. He says no, it needs to stay. It needs to be big so it can be adopted and survive. And and that was the the crux of the argument. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think one thing I actually throw out there was that. Uh, before in the Bitcoin community, it was okay to have disagreements and have a heated discussion, right? Like Ben and some other guys were always doing. Uh, but I feel like recently, whatever we say something that people disagree, people call us, oh, that's so toxic, or oh, it's just Bitcoin maximalist saying whatever. <laughs> and that, you it's know, so think, annoying. I mean, my, my view is that, that, that kind of since the Lightning Network, I mean, I'm amazed by the Lightning Network, to be honest. I didn't think it would actually happen because I just didn't think would be able to, uh, people would be able to develop it and you know it's very hard to build technology and and it, and it actually works but it's actually happened and one of the big arguments that big blockers had back in the day was that lightning is never going to be delivered it's never going to work you know and i kind of sympathize with that because yeah technology is very hard to build and deliver especially open source you know where's the incentives etc uh, but it but it has been and it's there now and so a lot of the technical arguments for scaling have disappeared. So so what's left? I think all that's left is, oh, you're toxic and the environment. I mean, yeah. you know, the technical stuff's kind of, yeah. uh, there's nothing left to, to attack, not, really. Not only that, not only that, but I also think that in general society in the last, I would say, maybe four years especially, uh, has kind of gone really deep into cancel culture and kind of saying like, oh, like, I disagree with you, so I'm just going to shut you down and try to get as many people to agree with me so that we can shut you down and we can mass report you on Twitter to get your account banned because we disagree with you. So it's like, I mean, obviously, you know, there's some insane, you know, bigots that are like, you know, death to all the minorities, woohoo, and like those people, yeah, you should block them and deplatform them screw those guys but um but but like like oh i disagree with you on this technical thing so therefore i'm gonna get like a bot army to go attack your account so that we can deplatform you because you're a toxic bitcoin maximalist it's like yeah i don't know i just think society has kind of gone in that direction in general as well but I also do agree with Ben in that there's a lot less technical merit 
to arguments again against Bitcoin. So once the technical merit of any argument against Bitcoin is gone, you pretty much have to run to, you know, bullshit arguments of toxicity and um, I don't know environment and stuff like that. Uh, I, I noticed I think, a lot of parallels as well between like the split in the Bitcoin community and how how kind of um, how, how kind of aggressive it was and polarizing it was with what's happened yeah. over the last like you were saying what's happened over the last like for uh, in America in terms of like the political split and how it's all was all done online. I mean, the same, there's a lot of the same stuff like accusations of censorship, like you're either yeah. on this side or the other, like complete like just memeing memeing a massive divide between people and it, 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 yeah. it was kind of foreshadowed it in a way which uh you know a lot of people think that the the split might have been a, some kind of psyop incidentally uh, mm. i i think with that said um i think there's some blind maximalism going on uh no, actually not in japan i don't see too much happening in japan you know you, you could have a disagreement or you can argue but there's not many people who blindly say, oh, Bitcoin, blah, 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 it's the best, whatever. But uh, I, I see in some countries, some areas, I see some like kind of weird blind maximalism going on as well. I'm not a personal fan of it. And that's actually kind of really toxic to me sometimes as well, because it's not really based on technical me- technical merits or arguments, right? Just like, oh, well, everything is a scam. I think there's two, I think there's two threads to that. Okay, there's there's... Bitcoin maximalism in terms of technical, you know, the system, right, right. Bitcoin. And then there's Bitcoin maximalism in terms of economics. It, you know, you're saying that, you know, um, uh, this is going to be the reserve currency of the world or something like that. And, and, you know, it's going to replace central banks and all this kind of stuff. And then there's the other one which says, you know, there's the, the technical side, which is that, um, you know, there's only Bitcoin. It's that's all that needs to exist. It doesn't need to be any altcoins or anything. The solution has been found. This is the technology. This is what um, should be built on. So both two kind of things, and, and definitely on Twitter, on Twitter, it's much more of the economic kind of maximalism um, that I see. I don't see a lot of technical discussion on Twitter uh, compared to what you used to see on even Reddit or definitely Bitcoin Talk and IRC. Uh, so. Hey. Yeah. And so I have a question on this topic, right? Um, so yeah, in the future, right? So in the future, in 10, 15 years, do you see a one chain world where like Bitcoin is the safest network, right? And eventually everything will be built on Bitcoin, or do you see a multi chain world in like 10, 15 years? Uh, that's a good question. We might have disagreements here, but uh, I, I don't know. Who, who wants to go first? I, it's, it's a matter. Yeah. I personally think that uh, it'll definitely be a multi-chain network, but I do think that uh, there will be a clear winner, and that clear winner will be, I think, the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, and that thing. Most things will be built on top of it. Um, there will also be other chains which will build on top of things, and and uh, there will be other projects that are built on top of it. Um, but I do think that Bitcoin and, you know, Lightning and RGB and all of these different, like, layered protocols uh, will be built on top of Bitcoin. 
but that's not to say that uh, the existing coins will go to zero or something like that. I'm sure the existing coins will continue to exist. They will continue to hold value. They will continue to can continue to be traded. Uh, they will continue to be useful in some aspects. Uh, but I do think that uh, it will be a multi-chain world, but I think the clear winner, the the most used uh, blockchain uh, will definitely be, uh, well, I, I don't want to say most used because, I mean, I'm sure someone's going to come up with an SQL database that is run by one company and they're going to call it a blockchain and then say like, oh, we, we have a bajillion transactions per second. And then they'll say we are the most used blockchain. <laughs> um, but, uh, but when I, when I say blockchain, I mean like actual decentralized, not centralized, um, you know, uh, blockchain. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, a mixture of both where it's, it's a one, one blockchain, but it's, there's also other blockchains that are allowed to coexist. Um, but I think it's definitely going to be a clear winner, uh, in the end, I'll, yeah. I'll 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 go ahead and be a little more kind of uh, strong on this, like not strong, but uh, what, what what do I mean? Extreme. Um, like uh, I think no no other coin at some point in the future, no other coin will trade other than Bitcoin. And like Jonathan said, the rest will just be SQL databases. They will just regress to normal tech systems, and all, all that will be left is Bitcoin. Okay, I, I uh, do have any opinion on that. Oh, I, we cannot hear you. Are you speaking? Uh, let me go. Let me go first. Then I want to throw something, maybe a slightly different perspective. Uh, I consider myself a Bitcoiner, but uh, I, I think it's gonna. Oh uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think maybe yeah. my my, right, my side is a bit more closer to Jonathan's side, although I would say, like, there may be a, a clear winner, but, like, for what, I guess, or for what intended purpose? Um, I definitely see multiple chains existing, um, and they will probably be for different purposes. Um, if we're thinking about payment, um, I do think Bitcoin probably will continue to stay in its kind of leader position, but um, I think as other things uh, start to continue to um, grow, if NFTs are still around, um, I'm not sure if that would be the, if, if, if Bitcoin is the clear winner in that regard. Um, I also think there will be multiple chains, but it's not really because of uh, because it's more efficient or, or te technical reasons, but it's more about people always want to create their own chain and uh, pump their own back or promote their coin uh there's there's we've seen this over and over and again in this space and i don't think this will stop unless there is going to be really strict regulation around it um uh with that said will bitcoin be a clear winner um it really kind of depends i agree with what aya says but uh a lot of VCs recently trying to hype other blockchains, non-Bitcoin blockchains, such as Ethereum, Solana, uh, new, newer ones, right? And they, they're incentivized to do so because it's easier for them to invest in uh, projects on top of Ethereum and like have them issue tokens or Solana, whatever, 
vice versa. So I, I think in terms of market cap, I can see a future where uh, Ethereum or some other chains have a larger market cap than Bitcoin uh, in the future. I think it's possible. Well, I, I, I hope not, but, but I think it's possible. But, but Koji, Koji, exactly like you just said, that it'll be regulated because it's just, this, is just right. dumping on, this is just dumping on retail. This has been going on in finance for 100 years, 200 years. Eventually, right, right, right. The, regulators, I, the regulators will catch up. You know, they're just behind. I, I, I agree. Especially for a lot of DeFi tokens, governance tokens, which basically have no reason to exist, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, but let's say regulation doesn't catch up very soon, right? And it's possible that in terms of market cap, some other coins might surpass Bitcoin. But to me, it doesn't really matter either way, because if it's not decentralized, that's not something I personally yeah, totally. like market cap yeah. is a is a very weird metric. Like I don't even know right, why right. it exists. Like um, you know, you can issue, you can just create a database tomorrow, issue like a, a, a billion jajillion tokens, and, and buy them yourself for a dollar each. You know, on a, on an exchange that you created, and then say this is the market cap. It's the biggest one in the world. So you know, obviously that's an extreme example, but you know, it's it's meaningless. But but that's that's what a lot of people want at the same time, right? Because they're here to kind of invest in tokens and make money. So, and there's a lot of oh sure, like, but but the people, idea that a flippening the idea that a flippening means Bitcoin has yeah. failed is ridiculous. Like, yeah, I agree. If Ethereum I agree. So ten times flips Bitcoin tomorrow. I'm still looking at Ethereum like it's a piece of shit. You know, it's not it's not going to make any difference. So yeah, from that standpoint, uh, I'm just. Trying to throw it out there. Uh, it's possible that other chains can flip Bitcoin in terms of market cap, but as long as it's not decentralized, it's going to be targeted by regulators and or the worst. Maybe let's say something like Ethereum was uh, became a de facto for blockchain applications. I think it's going to be influenced by kind of central planners, and that's exactly what I didn't want uh, when I found out about Bitcoin. That's what attracted me personally. So uh, it, it's a possible scenario, but I really hope it's not going to happen. That's that's all I'm saying. I mean, like the, these kind of, this trend of exchanges creating their um, own blockchains is hilarious. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, you couldn't make it uh, up. What, what's it? Yes, the FTX one is Solana, and then um, Binance have their own one, and they're all like competing with each Binance other. Binance Smart Chain. I mean, it's just yeah. ridiculous. Uh, 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 but I, I guess the point is, is that people don't really look at it as ridiculous. They just kind of, right. I don't know. They right. just hear blockchain and think, oh, this isn't this isn't just a SQL database. This this is crypto or something. It's it's yeah. It's <laughs> but it's got to the point where it's crazy. Yeah, like, but, um, so but, but, guys, um, one thing that I'm one thing that I'm wondering is why was Japan so early? in terms of adoption? Is it because of something in the Japanese mindset? Um, yeah. Uh, early uh, I, I in think terms it was of Bitcoin of, adoption? Or, yeah. I, I don't think it was that early. It wasn't like no, I don't think so. 10, 11. I mean, there was two, there was, I think there was two people that, that, um, that, that are responsible for, for that is uh, Mark Capellas and Roger Burr, basically. And, you know, it was just, 
I guess I guess you got to think of it like this. All right, if you're a kind of um, you know, if, if if you're a rich guy or, or whatever, where do you live in the world? There's probably only a, a few cities. You you know, maybe London, maybe New York, Tokyo, and it was just that. Like you know, it's a desirable city to live in. Two people happened to move there. One was a massive big Bitcoin proponent. One bought an exchange. Uh, one actually, he came here to set up. Actually, he he didn't set up a Bitcoin exchange, right? Uh, originally, it was a um, it was some card game. It was some card trading. Yeah, exchange, he got right? it off. Yeah, yeah. So he just kind of wandered into that. Um, Roger ended up here because he renounced his American citizenship. Where else is he going to live? He's a rich guy. Tokyo is a natural place to go. It's very high standard of living. So I just think it was just random circumstance, you know? Yeah. And for local Japanese people, they came to the Bitcoin space only after 20, most of them only after 2016 ish. So I was one of early local people who started going to the meetup and getting involved in 2014. But, uh, it was mostly uh, basically foreigners, about foreigners living in Japan, including uh, Roger and some others. And local people didn't really get involved until 2017, I would say, 16, 17. Yeah. Even among like a lot of local Japanese who were coming to the meetups, at least right around that time, like that 2016, 2017 time, they did have like some expat or like some sort of a job that required international work of some sort or exposure to um what's going on in like the it world on the more outside of japan level um but yeah and, and then once like the altcoins and stuff started to really drive up prices all across the board then you had people who were coming in with like no it background at, at whatsoever right they were in it really just for the investment uh, I would just say, like, I, I think Roger has a lot of credit here. And I heard he, you know, he just, he went to Japan and I think, you know, he had a girlfriend there or something and he kind of made him stay there and then he promoted it there. So a lot of it is Roger going around. I also heard that uh, when Roger, he spoke to a lot of, you know, maybe the regulators or politicians and people and he would use the fact that Satoshi Nakamoto, you know, he would kind of basically, yeah, he's probably Japanese to kind of, you know, get that Japanese pride so people would be more um, willing to adopt it. Um, and then I think also Ken thinking that um, Japan is like a religious place where um, Jesus died and no, Satoshi is like really. the homecoming <laughs> of Jesus. These things kind of made people promote it. So it's kind of those weird random circumstances that kind of planted a seed there. Um, I think that just file that under Bitcoin as a weird, right? That's probably the same everywhere globally. <laughs> yeah. But, but by yeah. the way, the, like, people like the, to say that, like, also Japan is like, a, a, you know, people often think this because Japan is like, you know, people think about Japan as like a, a, a high tech city, right? So they think, oh, it just makes sense. Like, you know, it's like Blade Runner, they would love like digital payments. But I guess I, I don't really think that that was it because Japan it was, you know, it was kind of like high tech in the 80s. Uh, Japan well, probably uses cash like digital, like regular yeah. hard cash more than any other country that I know of, right? Like most Japanese people are yeah. walking around with quite a few bills in their wallet, whereas in Canada, like everyone's just walking around with their debit card and oh. they don't even oh. bother to carry cash. I, I love using cash, I. 
I really appreciate <laughs> using cash <laughs> after knowing Bitcoin. Like, yeah, cash is great. Yeah, <laughs> Taiwan is mostly cash. <laughs> yeah, cash is cash is essential. I mean, I hate the idea of a cashless society. It's awful. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you know, you need to be able to store cash under your bed. You need to be able to store well, cash in your house. You can't have a tech. You can't have a techno technological system uh, just solely for payments. You know, what if you're you know your system is shut down for some reason. You need to buy your kid medicine. You need cash. You know, it has to. Always yeah. Also, like, so, without cash, you have to KYC to buy food, which is a scary thing. Or without Bitcoin, <laughs> yeah. as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's kind of yeah. that's kind of where China's go- heading into. But uh, to answer Lucas' question, I I don't think Japan was uh, particularly early, but it was early to regulate crypto. It was in 2017. It was one of the first countries to officially recognize and uh, regulate cryptocurrencies. But because of that, we had a pretty strict and non-unflexible rule regulation in Japan. That kind of hurt the entire industry now. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. And, and also after a huge hack incident at CoinCheck, which became a kind of social problem in Japan uh, in 2018. Uh, Japan kind of went down, and now the adoption. Japan was still uh, was ahead of most countries in the world in in terms of adoption in 2017. But now the general reaction to crypto, for example, this year it was it's kind of a bubble bubble market. But um, I don't well, I don't live in Japan. That's another reason as well. But uh, my understanding is that. People don't, general people don't really talk about crypto as much as they did in 2017. So we're kind of, yeah, lagging behind now. I'd say it's a bit sad because in a way the regulation and whatnot made Japan really take off initially for Bitcoin payments, like BitCamera, like, you know, the yeah. massive store in Japan started to take it. And it also kind of killed it in Japan because because of the coin check hack. Like right, Jonathan right. who well, left. Like well, it, it's, Jonathan it's killed in Japan was, though. It's killed in Japan though because the FSA won't It's killed allow lightning, right? Anymore. It's so hard to do allow, a lightning company in Japan. Well, the, the FSA no, won't no, allow really. anyone That's to do true. anything. They won't allow anyone to do but, anything though, basically. If you want to try and well if you want to try and start an exchange, yeah. for example, to compete with Bitflyer, you can't. There's no way. They no, won't, well, so in Japan, if you have a custodial wallet, for example, uh, you have to yeah. have an exchange license. So yeah, that, that's very, very difficult yeah. and costly. And, and also, you, you also cannot do DeFi, right? You cannot develop a DeFi application because it's basically a swapping of I mean, different tokens, I, right? I, and also, also they gave, did they give Coinbase and Kraken a license? I think they did, right? They gave Coinbase they did, a yeah. license recently. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is possible, but um, it's 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 very difficult. And also, they just are so random with which like shit coins and tokens they approve for exchanges and stuff. I mean, it's just I don't know. I think it's also They're hard to be weird. an entrepreneur generally in Japan, right? You know, it's, just, it's not really a startup country. So um, I guess you know, yeah, a lot of people, like it, myself included, you know, it's easier well, to kind of go and start well, a company in another country. I think. Yeah, Aya has experience in this. Actually. Yeah, Aya does. Has more, she has more experience than us. Probably. Sorry, sorry, I dropped out. Right. I, 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 oh, what is it like being a startup in Japan? Um, yeah, yeah, well, that's I, regulation specifically yeah, yeah, crypto. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at least thankfully the so around um, 2019, 
um, I founded uh, a company with um, some partners uh, to do a truck, uh, transaction analysis type of work. And uh, so it, it's not like we did any actual money transmitting, so we didn't have to apply for a license. But I, I do know that, you know, as our company does transaction analysis and some compliance work, um, we did help other companies get into this industry. And um, it's definitely really, really difficult. Um, the, the licensing procedure for being able to run a crypto payments or exchange service uh, company, it's very, very high hurdle. You must have... Um, you know, a, a well-staffed compliance team. You have to have a whole bunch of things put into governance in order. There's a lot of stuff to take care of. Um, but if you're not doing that, I don't think that there's too much trouble. Um, my only other thing is that uh, if, if you're working in crypto, uh, it's going to be a little bit harder to get VCs interested, um, at least the ones that you want right. to keep around, um, because they're just so adverse to crypto things. And especially around the time that I, I was doing my startup, it was just at like the, I guess we were trying to get our, our, our round of funding around the time that COVID started. So none of the VCs wanted to do anything that was, you know, like um, considered high risk. And so as soon as you say like it's, it's blockchain or crypto related, people kind of turn off immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, risk, risk averse VCs. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same yeah. Well, it, well that's, yeah, in Japan, that's, that's how it is. It's always been like this, then. I don't think it's going to improve anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, I think so. Yeah. There's, there's a few things that yeah, made, so, make sorry. it easier, uh, though, or is like um, uh, Tokyo and like Shibuya, they are like, they have some local programs in place to help um, startups um, get started uh, with like subsidies and like help with co working spaces and whatnot. So it is changing better in, in that way, but it's not crypto specific by any means. Yeah. But in Japan, because of regulation, doing anything with tokens or swapping some, you know, a lot of DeFi projects, it's very, very difficult and costly. Uh, but this is actually a good thing uh, for Lightning because Lightning is about Bitcoin payment. It's pretty simple and uh, compliance costs not that high compared to other DeFi and some other projects in Japan. So maybe that's one of the reasons that when we started Diamond Hands, the local uh, Lightning Network community, there was more interest than I anticipated. And there, there's like 300 and 350 people now in the community. And maybe this strict regulation uh, might, be, uh, might benefit the Bitcoin and Lightning community in Japan in the future. Because doing other things is very difficult. Yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> Well, I hope so too. But but let's say compare Japan to Korea, for example, it's easier. Like I said, it's easier to issue and sell tokens in Korea, or it was. I don't know about now. Yeah. So I think still now became more of a yeah. It became kind of more of a shitcoin haven, as I say. And compare that to Japan. If regulation was much less strict, I think we would have something similar in Japan now as well. Sure. The trade-off is like a kind of quality control of sorts. Yeah. So that's that's yeah, kind of I mean, interesting. I, I, I just I just wish regulators would, um, you know, I, I mean, it's weird. Like, okay, regulate regulators and, and Bitcoin and everything. I mean, we're totally off topic now, are we? Are we talking about Japan still? But um, I don't know. Like, like regulation and Bitcoin and like the the whole kind of um, 
altcoin world is it's kind of weird because i feel like you know bitcoin you can't really regulate like it, it just exists but um a lot of these altcoins are so centralized it can easily be regulated regulators can easily stop it but they don't they kind of um they welcome them in a way and you know invite them in so it's it's kind of weird like they say okay it's fine to do ethereum it's fine to do ripple it's fine to do this um i just don't think they understand yet uh what's going on or i don't understand like the technology or the fundamentals and i think what you'll start getting is people um people who do understand that getting into these smart people who do understand that getting into these um uh institutions regulatory institutions and things will start changing and uh you know they'll stop it i mean there's the guy who's the guy uh in america who's just got into the sec gary like, gensler is the yeah, chairman some, of the sec yeah. he some used to be the uh, professor or a professor in uh, right. yeah. MI mit um uh, teaching uh, bitcoin and blockchain and he has okay, a 24 so, 24 um and what do you call episode uh, lecture series uh, okay. so his course has been recorded and published on youtube right. uh, with a creative commons license mm. um, it's quite interesting, interesting actually so you know I, i expect this to happen also like uh, smart people will get into these institutions and stop a lot of what's going on i think and this is fundamentally why i think bitcoin will just end up being the only one okay um We have power has been trying to uh, ask. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe one last question, one or two, and we'll finish it. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, uh, since you guys are from Japan, uh, that's really cool. I'm in the U.S. You guys are from Japan, um, but I wanted to ask you, what's the overall narrative of Bitcoin with like people in? japan because like right now like here in the u.s right we have the narrative of bitcoin is a store of value um eventually it's gonna absorb you know um trillions of dollars of market cap of world of global assets out there um like here in the u.s right on these twitter spaces what's the narrative over there on that side of the world like um is bitcoin how are they looking at bitcoin like is it a store of value um is it like a medium of exchange like what's the narrative yeah. uh it's a great question uh does anyone want to go first i have a pen yeah uh maybe like the kind of pessimistic version i mean the i mean <laughs> it is is um at the beginning it was kind of like scary hacker money and then it changed yeah, well, scary yeah, hacker money into <laughs> yeah scam. into like new, new something untrustworthy And then it went, I mean, it, then it definitely went into like, um, sort of like a get rich quick type stuff, because I think there are people who certainly made bank on their Bitcoin or crypto investments. And they have, you know, going on TV and, and saying, oh, I, and I have millions of dollars, nothing's to Bitcoin. So there's a lot of like, kind of high, like kind of Ponzi scheme type, <laughs> type uh, aura that it had. And now I think like, Japan is still working to get away with that, or to, to get away from that. And like with, uh, you know, after about Gox, there have been plenty of other really high profile um, incidents with exchanges here, like the Coincheck incident for one. And um, I think Japan has worked very hard, like as an industry, uh, the crypto industry has tried very hard to clean up that image and like try and exude 
this 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 image of like safety and trustworthiness. I think that's still in progress now. Yeah, I would like to. Yeah, so, I, 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 I would totally agree. I, I'd say like um, also in Japan, you know, you see Bitflyer commercials on TV. Uh, when you're in a taxi, you might see uh, a commercial for an exchange. The, the when you're walking around the city, one? you see billboards <laughs> with uh, yeah. Bitcoin advertising, and you know it's. I think it's kind of semi-accepted now, like in terms of like people who might trade FX, etc., are happy to trade crypto and do and do so. Yeah. Christian, yeah, I was going to say that. Um, oh. Teriko is here. She's listening, and uh, I wonder yeah. if she might want to speak because she was like helped us organize the hackers meet up, and she's like a Japanese who got orange pills. I'm not sure if she wants to talk, but um, yeah, I invited but... her up now. Um, let's well, see if she then, then, let me let me let me answer first. Then, so I think the main narrative of Bitcoin in Japan is not digital gold, or I, I rarely hear regular people talk about Bitcoin as digital gold. One of the reasons is because, uh, like Aya and Ben said, most people consider Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies as a trading asset. For them, it doesn't really matter if it's Bitcoin, Ripple, or Ether, or some others. Bitcoin, to, to them, is just one of the cryptocurrencies. One of the, you know, it's just one of them, for most people, I would say. And we rarely hear exchanges and other companies don't promote Bitcoin as digital gold. Uh, one of the reasons is because inflation rate in Japan is still pretty modest. So we, we don't think, most people don't think we need something like digital gold or uh, store value in Japan. So that's, I think, another reason. So I, I've never seen any strong narrative around Bitcoin as digital digital gold or store value or it's it's probably more like loosely more about medium of exchange I would say but it's not really used it's not adopted by merchants so people say like oh it's it's not useful for anything it's not useful for payment and we don't need store value so it's just one of those new cryptocurrency things so that's what most people think about Bitcoin I would say yeah, just quickly, as an outsider, I always saw it that like Japan has had like what 30, 40 years of stagflation. Uh, and I think in any other country, it would make people a lot more distrusting of the government and the money system. But for some reason, Japan, it seems to be a quite socially coherent country that doesn't necessarily on a whole distrust its government or distrust its financial systems. I always find that like a, a paradox, but... I'm yeah, ignorant of that. I'm not Japanese, but I, no, no, no. I agree. We trust. We trust the authority. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, there's like so little like economic or political incentive to get into Bitcoin, even like on a convenience level too. Like, you know, of all countries in the world, Japan already has the infrastructure for digital payments. Before Bitcoin, it has all these other conveniences that already exist, but it doesn't really have that much to offer regular people outside of making profit from trading. Um, I from like the, the main, from like the main mainstream person's perspective, but yeah, we I, I have Teruko join. Teruko might so, have to say oh, something. So, 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 so is that so is that because Japan has a strong currency? Like, is the currency strong out in Japan? Pa power. Let's um, very, very strong. Yeah, very strong, and that's a big part of it. 
Yeah. Uh, but um, also, so I do think that we, um, we, older Japanese people <laughs> like Excuse that. me. Uh, we invited uh, Teruka up. So maybe we let um, let her go. Uh, Teruko, hey. Hi, how are you? Good to see you guys. Um, so I don't know, shall I answer the questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd be interested to hear your insight. Uh, yeah, like uh, Chris said, um, we had about economy for more than 30 years, but somehow people don't find it problematic. And then people just, you know, try to go on with their life as usual. And then... If I talk, start talking about Bitcoin and then how it can change, you know, society for the better, not many people, you know, are even sure and interested listening to me. So, um, and then, yes, they've been, you know, the government's been printing money for the last 30 years, but it's so gradual. It's not like the U.S. did last two years. So the change is... Like, you know, it's hard to feel in the daily life. So it's like, you know, we were in a, a pot of water and then it's just, you know, heat is turning on gradually. So we don't even feel it's hot now. Yeah, that's what I feel. Yeah, um, I think like gradually then suddenly kind of thing happened in, in the U.S. I was at least that's my perception in 2017 when i went to the u.s and talked to my local friends they didn't really know about bitcoin or crypto uh and japan was ahead in terms of adoption where at some point i would go to a random cafe in tokyo and then people sitting next to me were talking about like monacoin investment monacoin is a doge japanese dogecoin right i was like oh my god what's happening but uh it was not it was not like that in in the u.s in 2017 then japan had a had a bunch of issues and uh the market just crashed in 2018 and then people left uh but until 2017 there was almost nobody <laughs> exchange were not making money and there's no trading volume then suddenly Regulation starts, then boom, people started coming. So in Japan, people don't see any value in something like Bitcoin as store value now. But when something bad starts happening, maybe then eventually, like they just switch, like <laughs> suddenly. Oh. Maybe, maybe that's that might happen. Is it fair to say, so, like, just I'm, I'm going to be quite rude, like as an ignorant foreigner here, but like the Japanese <laughs> psychology hey, is hey, it's like two things I notice. One thing yeah. is they will tend to take self responsibility, so they won't necessarily blame the government or the central bank. They'll kind of blame themselves. Another one is you have like a shogunate, right? You have that culture of like shit happens; it can't be helped. You know, people don't really like get angry and go on the streets and protest and like, you know, demand change. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. So here in the U.S., right, we've seen a lot of government type of support, like the mayor of Miami, Mayor Suarez. Um, uh, what's the other woman from? Wyoming, are you guys, is there any type of government figures that are embracing Bitcoin? Like the mayor of Miami, he's getting his pay in Bitcoin. The mayor of New York, he's getting his pay in Bitcoin. Is there any of that type of government support out yeah. in Japan? Yeah, good no. question. Uh, no, uh, for governments and city governments like Miami uh, in Japan, it's much safer to say blockchain, right? They're interested in blockchain so to speak 
they don't know what they're talking about mostly. But uh, saying like, hey, we're gonna use our reserve to buy Bitcoin, or we're gonna uh, go hard on Bitcoin adoption, or you know, inviting Bitcoin companies, etc. Uh, it's much riskier for them because of the public perception of Bitcoin, because it's just a speculative asset for them, for most people. Yeah, there's, so, there's, no. there's no way Japanese uh, Japanese people are going to be happy with a with a local government like taking a reserve in Bitcoin or something. There's going to be huge backlash. No yeah. way. <laughs> however, yeah. however, one thing I would say is that Japanese people don't trust banks that much. They're, they're actually quite skeptical, I think, about authority. And they do try to limit um, the reach of authority. And also, um, also banks, I, I don't think they trust. Like, there's, there's so many old people who still just keep hard cash under their mattress or in their house. Like, like, you know, 10 million yen. Yeah, just some, keep some, some people. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's true. But that, I, I would say mostly we trust banks. We, we like banks. But, but up in to general. a certain amount, right? Like, I trust a bank up to like $100,000. After that, I don't trust it. I think, I don't know. I sense Japanese people are kind of saying they would rather have the paper there. So, this is where I think Bitcoin I think can it's huge, um, you know? older people, you know, older people who went uh, through okay. the war period and after war, then they know what's going to happen. But uh, younger people actually are more trusting of government and then, you know, what they do, you know. So, uh, it's kind of scary and disappointed that, uh, like, when you talk to younger people, they are, you know, like supporters of LDP, you know, the prime minister just announced, you know, they're going to tax harder on their wealthy. And then people are shutting that up, the, you know, the policy. So it's in general in Japan, we just follow leaders or authority. So when they started saying something, something is bad or good, then they suddenly start following. So in Japan in 2017, when suddenly crypto became hot, it was because it was regulated. So for them, oh, it's the country, the government recognized it. So I think it's safe now. So that's kind of how it is. So I understand that, but the, in I, that, I, do it, feel, it, I do I do feel like Japan's kind of decentralized in a way, though. Like like. I, I don't know whether it's just an accident, but there's no FBI, right? Yeah, there's no, yeah. Like, I, central, I, there's no central agencies. There's just like these random kind of like small prefectures that don't c- communicate with each other. Or they don't talk to each other. There's all these random cities. It's like, you know, it, it, it's not like a lot of Western countries. It's not really so much on purpose. And it's just like a side effect of failing to like do this digital transformation stuff. For sure, at least on the on the city in, uh, infrastructure level, at least. Hey, um, I have. Um, I wonder, have you watched the documentary or read the book, uh, "The Princess of the Yen"? It's like um, a documentary. Yeah, about Jimmy promoted how, it. <laughs> uh, how um, there was a pretty much a hit job done on the uh, Japanese economy that. The economy never recovered from, um, and uh, therefore the extreme GDP uh, debt to GDP um, of the of the Japanese government and so on. Um, I could recommend it. It was uh, for me. It was eye opening, like a, a case study for um, uh, an economic hitman job, pretty much, and. Um, uh, 
I'm wondering if what you're talking about, that the, the older people have this memory of worse times and distrust of government, maybe comes from that time when that drama went down like 40 years ago or something like that. Uh, possibly, but I, I'm not quite sure myself as well. Yeah. I, I've yeah, seen that documentary. Mm-hmm. And I've spoken to my, um, I guess, my uh, Japanese grandmother-in-law about money because she comes from a, a different time. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that documentary... It's hard to know because, like, a documentary on YouTube, you don't know like what is actually true and what is just like somebody wanted to make a documentary, which is a bit conspiratorial. I know it, it, it was done by a, a proper economist, uh, but wait, I what's don't know. the uh, yeah. what, what's the uh, what the the princess of the princess, princess of, of Yen. Yen by Richard Wagner or something? It's like the guy. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but what's yeah, the, what's never I haven't watched the, the uh, documentary, but definitely like, like my I have some family that that does do this like keep their cash under the mattress type, and for those members of the family, they're definitely getting that from their like post war era experience. Mm. So are there um like here in the U.S. we have guys like Michael Saylor going public with all the Bitcoin buying? Are there any like corporate um? Corporate big shots out in Japan, kind of like doing the same thing. Uh, no, Remo? no, I remember. No. It's too risky for them, right? <laughs> yeah, there isn't. But I think there's been some like it, there's been some like tech startup people, right? Like uh, well, ah, not right, super rich. But uh, yeah, right. Another another reason this tax system is not favorable for companies to hold Bitcoin for a long time. So. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the kind of because of the tax system. It's there's uh, not strong interest for companies to hold Bitcoin. Yeah, basically, if you're a company and then you have a um, Bitcoin on balance sheet, you have to um, like pay tax on unrealized gain every you know the end of the year every year. So you know, no. Oh wait, so yeah. So 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 in Japan. You guys, corporate companies pay unrealized tax. Like that's a thing. Yes. What? It's a nightmare. And if any country it wants is. to understand how to destroy Bitcoin, just look to Japan's <laughs> tax policy. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. It's actually very simple. It's just the Japanese are very clever. <clears throat> okay. Uh, yeah, any any other question? Maybe, and if not, we can wrap it up and maybe each of you guys say one last thing and yeah, if there's anything left to say. <laughs> oh, Lucas, if, is there any question from you? Um, I think uh, the conversation has been great and I think it's a good time to wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, as you said, maybe um, each person can, can make a, a final comment and... Um, Koji, thank you so much for uh, organizing this and bringing all these great people into into the space to share their their experience from um, uh, from from Japan. Aya, nice to meet you for the first time. Christian, uh, I met you before. Nice to meet you again. 
Um, and Teruko, nice to meet you first time, and Ben as well. Uh, it's super nice to have you and power for asking the great questions. So um, with that, I'll leave it to you guys to, to, to have a f- few words before we yeah, wrap up. Fi- yep, final comment if, if there's anything. Thank you, um, Koji and, and everyone for putting this together and thanks to the listeners who are taking an interest into what's happening in Japan, whether you live there or not. Um, one of the nice things about Bitcoin is that it's kind of like a very global thing and I'm sure we have different motivations for getting into it and I'm not sure if you're a developer or if you're into you know, the economy side of things, but um, I'm, I'm, I have confidence that no matter where in the world you go, that Bitcoiners are always welcoming to each other. So I'm hoping someday I can meet you guys in person and uh, hopefully also everyone in the speakers list I haven't seen you guys for a long time, so it'd be cool to catch up sometime soon. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. Ben or Christian? Yeah, I'll just, um, just thanks for having me on briefly. Uh, I guess I'll finish. Like, I think Japan is always a weird country when it comes to tech. I think there's a term called the Galapagos effect with Japan where they have the tech that the rest of the world has, but they have it in a different, slightly weird way. You know, like Yahoo is still popular there, but Google isn't, you know. Uh, <laughs> You know, people still use fax machines. So I think Bitcoin in Japan is always going to be quite interesting from an outsider's perspective and always interesting to keep an eye on and see where it goes, especially with Lightning. I'm interested to see where that goes. But yeah, but thanks for having me on. And it's just been great speaking to everybody again. It's like old times in a way. Yeah. Uh, catching you guys up. Soon. Great catching up with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say well, two, two things. One regarding Japan. Japan likes change to be very slow and that's also how bitcoin should operate you don't make changes you you, you just wait you just wait um because if a system works you don't change it um uh, and secondly sell all your shit coins and buy bitcoin thank you hey i jumped up here really quick um Tao, Tao, um, before you go, uh, let's let uh, Teruko and Koji. Um, uh, Teruko? I think Koji lost connection, so I'm going to oh, try okay. to reconnect Koji. But uh, Teruko, please go. Oh, um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. I was uh, late to this show. I just caught up for the last 20 minutes, but it's been fun. And then, you know, um, things are not promising here but I still have a high hope and then I try to do my best educating Japan Japanese people you know with books meetups and you know um, setting up a website for educational information so you know I don't know it will take long it's probably not gonna be you know a big change in two three years but you know, I won't give up <laughs> or in spreading Japan. So um, hopefully, you know, um, I can use any help from you guys. So, yeah, let's work together. Koji? Uh, yeah. So thanks, everyone, for joining me or uh, for the audience to take a listen. Um, my, my thing is, I think it's interesting that each country has a slightly different culture and uh, uh, the each in each country, in each area of the world, uh, industry is a little bit different. They have different 
culture, different people, different kind of people working on in this space. Um, in Japan, it's、uh, it's a combination of more conservative culture and regulation that's shaping the、uh, Bitcoin blockchain and crypto industry. But I, I, I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm also hopeful that、uh, Lightning. We have a pretty healthy community, local community around the Lightning Network in Japan now. So my personal goal for the next few years is to grow the community. Oh, hold on! I have some. Hold on! Can you guys hear me? Sorry, I went off. Yes,、yeah. we hear you. Hear anyway, you. so my my goal for the next、uh, couple next few years is to. Uh, grow a strong community around the Lightning Network, and at the end of the day, we can just criticize other projects or coins, blockchain, whatever, for lack of decentralization or inflated marketing, whatever. But、uh, we have to kind of show ourselves and build things that work. So that's kind of what I'm hoping to do in the next few years with around Lightning. So. Japan right now is、uh, number three or four in terms of the number of not the number of users, but let's say、uh, interest for the Lightning Network in terms of country. So, as far as I know, maybe fifth, but it's still kind of up there. So I'm trying to kind of keep it out there and、uh, keep them relevant. So, yeah, that's that's my final thought. So I want to say one thing before I let you um, Tao uh, uh, make your last point or question.、Um, we did、uh, donate the hundred thousand、uh, sats to a guy called Salim. He was the winner, and and、um, also I want to、uh, share a little bit about what Global Bitcoin Fest is for those that don't know. Global Bitcoin Fest.、Um, Our idea is that we're curious about communities worldwide in specific、um, countries or、um, yeah regions. So basically, learning about、uh, Bitcoin adoption, Bitcoiners, and、uh, the community in specific places. So last week we did Costa Rica, and this week we're we're doing Japan. Next week it will be Indonesia on the third of January. And the week after that, we hope to、um, uh, talk to、uh, Bitcoin Lake Guatemala.、Um, so、um, it's a just a pleb organized thing. So follow the Global Bitcoin Fest account, and、um, it's、uh, quite a good way to connect to Bitcoiners all over the world. We did a twenty-four hour space. Uh, on the seventh of September to celebrate El Salvador adoption, but it was it was Bitcoin spaces from all over the world, including Cuba, Venezuela, Ethiopia, Sudan, Nigeria, Greece,、uh, Tonga, everywhere. So,、um, yeah, and、uh, follow all the、uh, speakers here as well if you're curious to learn more about Japan over time. And with that,、um, Tao, please go ahead. Hey Lucas. Now, really quick, I just want to say I'm not Japanese, but I do have a family member who lives there, and so、um, if I happen to one of these days <laughs> go out there,、um, and I, this, this is, 
I don't even know when, if, if even I will be um, going there. But if I do go out there, um, I'll definitely reach out to you guys, maybe hang out with some Bitcoiners um, in Japan. So, and Tao, you, uh-huh. you, should, you should also connect to whoever. These guys are in, in Lightning, deep, deep, heels deep in Lightning. And um, oh. to, to Koji and Christian, Aya, uh, Tao usually talks about Lightning and educates about Lightning here on Spaces. So please, maybe you guys should talk please, more. Please open the channel to the Diamond Hand Note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i i follow i follow all of you guys already oh so, cool um yeah I, thanks I, yeah i mean i don't even know i just know i have a you know family over there and just you know no plans no plans at all but you never know enough surprises come here and there so i just wanted to mention that <laughs> that's all yeah thanks. yeah and like i said when when we free when we can freely travel maybe hopefully next year sometime next year I, i'm hoping it's an opportunity for lightning network adoption to kind of attract travelers from other part of the world and that's what el salvador is trying to do i believe so um hopefully we can just start working on that as well next year i will be in japan next year so i have to show my baby to japanese family so i I don't know if i can go back to japan myself (laughs) 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 so let me know practically kicked out of japan now so anyways that's why I was asking about the merchant adoption because if I do happen to go there, yeah. I would love to spend my lightning sacks. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we'll, we'll work on that next year. That's one of my personal goals. Okay, cool. So that's it. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Thanks, everyone. Guys. So nice. Yep. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Bye. That was awesome. Thank I you. Really Bye. Likewise. Global Bitcoin Fest. Celebrate Bitcoin adoption with Bitcoin communities worldwide.